The World Cup on off the ball, covering the good, the bad, and well, the ugly of what's happening in Qatar. Neymar can push the ball between your legs because he just sees things. Subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast feed now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's 7.31. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. It's Jaron Shane with you all the way through until 10. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-918-180 is the WhatsApp number. Or, of course, you can always leave a, a comment on the YouTube stream. Or the hashtag is OTBAM or we're at Off The Ball M. Is it 087 or 086? It's 087, isn't it? That rings yeah. a bell. I mean, I've only, I, I've only been saying it every day for five years. <laughs> 087, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds right. Let's get How are you, saying? Keeping well, keeping well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of sport last night, and I was at the Fontaine's DC gig as well, which yeah was uh, was rowdy as you can imagine. Yeah, those gigs tend to be fairly fairly busy. Yeah, where was it? It was in the Vicar, uh, Vicar Street. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was excellent, excellent gig. Um, it's sheer pandemonium. I, I found myself uh, kind of moving towards the front of the stage towards the end. I just wanted to get the attention of Connor Curley, one of the lead guitarist, who's Monaghan man. Used to play f- uh, football with him. Growing I'm up. with the band, says Shane. Yeah, of course. I, I know. I know. We, we, no, no, he definitely knows me. No, yeah. he does. What? Yeah. What? Where's he going? Why? What? Got the fist bump, but it, it came at a cost. Ended up in the mosh pit, kind of towards right. the, the last couple of songs, "Boys in the Better Land" and all the rest. And uh, that was an experience. Left there profusely sweating. Right. I mean, felt like a workout. It was felt good. alive. I felt alive. Yeah, I could hold and then I could, I could watch the highlights of the matches. And, and then you couldn't sleep until two o'clock. Tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what happens. But um, fun. It's silly. It's silly season. We're into December now, Jer. So all of this is all of this is is passable. Um, on tomorrow night's off the ball, I'm interviewing Luke McManus, who is um, the director and writer of the new documentary North Circular, which is the it's in cinemas from tomorrow, and it's absolutely amazing. I watched it uh, last night, and there's a scene where they're actually in Daily Mount. And uh, the guy who leads the chance, I don't know his name, I probably should know his name, and it came up in the credits afterwards, was there. And they just had this amazing scene where he's doing the B, give me an O, give me an H, give me an My wife's like, what are they saying? And it's Bowers. And then the, the chant comes up, and then a goal gets scored, and he's like running out of the way because everybody's cowering in front of the mosh pit as the goal <laughs> happens. And it's the same It's the same energy as the Fontaine's DC. It is. A lot of the fans, there's a crossover there with fans. Of course, Fontaine's DC sponsoring Bose jerseys as well. and it's, uh, it, it is pure madness. It felt like a football match. It actually did. And the chants are starting to go as well. Green, oh. Green, Green being the lead singer. So it, it was proper football match experience. They have a, a cult-like following, but it's much bigger than a cult. Yeah, one hundred percent. You can't. You don't say anything bad about Fontaine's DC, or you'll have. Oh, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. This isn't Marcus Rashford, lads. Yeah, yeah. It, hey. It'd be kind of like saying something bad about Taylor Swift or or Harry Styles or something. You'll be absolutely hounded off Twitter. Have you done any of that before? Um, picking on pop stars. Yeah, is there anything bad about? I don't. Know, I, like, is Taylor Swift? Is, is she? Is there anything you go, would say? Go on, say it. What would you say? Like, I don't know what you'd say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at this. Her music su- is bland. Look at this very successful person doing this thing that she's very successful at. Yeah, oh, fair play to her. Oh, it's terrible for society, isn't it? <laughs> More power to her. Yeah, like I mean, who, who's getting pissed off Harry Styles? Yeah, 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 exactly. What's wrong with y'all? <laughs> I thought you were going to double down there. You're taking your Rashford abuse, so you were going to take some Harry Styles abuse today as well. But no, fair play. You've left it. Yeah, I see that. Um, this is the latest issue in English football. Is like, oh, Ryan Sterling, he's been a key player every game, every big game. When the, when the pressure's been on, he's, he's turned to Raheem and Raheem has delivered mm-hmm. in the tournaments. But he just, he's not quite in as good form as everybody else. Yeah, uh, don't you have to you have to pick players in form in the World Cup, 
I can't believe there's even the discussion that Rashford might not play the last 16 game. It's hard to know. Like, if you, you know, dance with the water brung you. Yeah. Well, you, you, he scored two goals. He scored three goals, sorry, in the tournament. Two goals in the last game. Put I him in the team. I, I, I mean, you probably do feel like you have to put him in the team. I guess from, like, Joe Cole has the correct answer in all this. He'll use them all at some point over the course of the game. <laughs> Which is like, with five subs, he probably will. He probably will, but... He's I mean, not making any defensive sub. He's not changing out the goalkeeper unless there's an injury. So he can actually... He can use all of the players at some point. And your role today, <laughs> your job now, is to be a good substitute. Yeah. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be a substitute. You've got to... You've got to... But that sets the tone. Your starting team sets the tone. Play with Rashford, a man with confidence. That's going to set the tone against Senegal. You've got to do it. Speaking of Senegal, Ger, the last team to be knocked out of a World Cup on yellow cards... Senegal 2018. All oh, right. Colombia. So they were level with Colombia on points, goal difference, goals scored. Head to head was 2 2 in their group game. And uh, Senegal had six yellow cards. Colombia had four. So Colombia, of course, famously go on to play England and lose on penalties in the 2018 World Cup. Last right. So I was just chatting to, to Pat Urbanak from New Stop Breakfast. He'd reminded me of that over coffee this morning. And I was like, yeah, Jesus, I forgot about that. And last night we almost had uh, the carnage situation where. Poland and Mexico would have had to draw lots if Poland is it if Poland two more yellow cards am I the only one who actually wants to see the physical drawing of the lots I mean that would have been just like how, how does it work what are, they, what are they actually doing is it, a, is it a coin toss and they say draw lots because it's like oh we need to somehow pretend that we're like from the Greek era we're going to draw lots I mean and what like it could be a weighted coin there's like people's trust of FIFA is sketchy at the best of times I think if, if they were starting to draw lots to decide who stays in the tournament and who goes I mean, now if it was a drawing competition where you get your best drawer from both teams to paint something, yeah, like a, like single line drawing, right? Oh, yeah, you got one minute to draw, like or draw lots, as in just draw lots of stuff. Yeah, Messi, you, uh, you're this is the whoever has the the best likeness to this picture of Leo Messi, go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, who's not watching that? I'd be up for that. I'd actually like to see a, a crossbar challenge, and like maybe from like the. Between the halfway line and the the edge of the box, someone something like that, just a like five five kicks each. They're going to be in different different yeah, parts but, of the world. Well, I mean, they can. You could do that. though. still do it. You could. You could like footage in one one uh, stadium, footage in the other stadium. Yeah, yeah. Get everybody back out. Hundred percent. And everybody in the squad has to have a go, including the managers. Yeah, or even like a wheelbarrow race or something. Or the managers have to sprint from one side of the pitch to the other. And whoever does it faster. It's anything's better than drawing lots. At least there's a bit of skill involved in what we've, we've just said. There's no skill in drawing lots. Penalty shootouts, at least there's a skill there. Colin says, uh, uh, it's impossible to draw the perfect circle so they could each draw a circle and best effort goes through to the last 16. Of course, I mean, we all know that Michelangelo or Leonardo did manage to draw the perfect circle and so therefore this is actually not oh, true. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he, he, sure, I mean, like, surely. Yeah, we've all moved on, right? They could do like a pub quiz, general knowledge. See who's more in tune with the world. Difficult to get that right, and you know, uh, we all know pub quiz like like the crappy quiz. Everybody's a cheat. Yeah, it's fair. Not everybody. Everybody's a cheat. I've never cheated in the crappy quiz. Okay, uh, Wojciech Szczesny, who has emerged as like uh, one of the top goalkeepers in the world over the course of this tournament. Yeah, like, ah, and he's, he's have cocky. We, have we underrated him? Definitely. Oh, he's he's a player. This boy, <laughs> he is a player, um, and he had the bet with Messi. Just before the penalty well, was let's, awarded. Let's, so in the aftermath, he explained what his bet was. You're not allowed to bet now. This is, this is very dodgy territory admitting this. But anyway, go on. Have a listen. No, I didn't. Uh, we spoke before the penalty. I told him I can bet him 100 euros that he, w- he wasn't going to give it. Um, so I've lost the bet against Messi. I don't know if that's allowed at, at the World Cup. I'm probably going to get banned for it. I don't care right now. <laughs> so you, you bet it. pay him either. <laughs> You're not going to pay him 100? Nah, no, he doesn't care about 100 euros. Come on. <laughs> he has enough. Yeah, I think so. 
No, 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 no. You gotta, you gotta pay your bets. I follow through. Pay him hundred quid. You don't care about it either. Yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, pay him hundred quid. Ceremony handing over. Although maybe if they pay it, that would constitute having, yeah. having made the bet. That and would then, be a bet. So then it's oh, okay. Sorry, he's, he's, he wiggled out of it. There, I was like, it wasn't real. Yeah. But see, Messi knew that was. a This safe. is the type of thing, right? In Qatar, <laughs> oh, the Qatari government might be like, here, what? No gambling. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, that's fair. It might it might crop up. Lock him up. Yeah, yeah. Shesney might have, but he, as he said himself, he doesn't care because they've... Well, he doesn't uh, care when he's in Qatari jail. Well, potentially. But, uh, uh, yeah, Messi, safe bet for him because, he, as he knows, you know, he wasn't even touched for the for the penalty. It was one of the most horrific penalty decisions I've ever seen. But Messi knew he was going to get it because he's Lionel Messi. The referee was told to go and have a look. Give this penalty, it's Messi. I, I, I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. No. Nope. I, I do think... I wonder, is there... A case to be made, though. No. Just let me make the case. So, if Chesney, if Chesney is putting Messi off, right? The only thing, the only way they can put him off is to like go at the "I'm going to clock you in the face," and so it's the intention. And then he pulls out of it, and they're like, "Well, actually, the only way for you to stop Messi scoring there was a foul, even though it wasn't actually you didn't carry through with it. It's like attempted murder as opposed to murder. I mean, I'm not really." This isn't uh, Harold Schumacher and uh, Baddestone. But, do you know what I mean? Oh, I didn't get you. I didn't, I didn't get him. I didn't get him. It's like, well, you, you, like, you were about to get me. You can't give Come a- on, Rev, you've got to give me that. <laughs> you can't no, give a I foul don't. for intent. That's like saying, oh, I, I intended to drink drive last night. I didn't, but I intended to. Well, but you, that's not a crime. You didn't, you didn't do it in the end. That's fine. In, Just in, don't do it. Intended to murder you, but I didn't do it is still a crime. Well, that is. Breaking news, Shane. That is, yeah, fair. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, but... No, it wasn't a penalty. I intended to crack your skull, but actually you wiggled out of it and got away, and so uh, it's not a yellow card. Chesney hey, didn't, I didn't get him! Chesney didn't intend to do anything. Chesney intended to punch the ball away. Well, Chesney's a very clever goalkeeper. Anyway, look, I, I, I probably agree with you, and I don't want to waste too much time on that, but I don't think it's a penalty, but like the, the, they're now saying that he's not going to get the World Cup final because of giving that penalty. Like one of the sorry, one of the uh, referees who was paid to write in the papers, like, oh, I suspect he won't get the World Cup final now after his error, and you're like, but it wasn't his error; it's the VAR error. Yeah, he was told to have a look, but then he could he, he could have watched the monitor and said, no, show a bit of ball, just, just, just don't give the penalty. Yeah, it wasn't a penalty. I, I didn't like, even think. I, I mean, I think there was half-hearted uh, Argentina claims for it. Yeah, they were kind of oh, no, come on, look at it, look at this. Well, and then because there's like a little bit of like, oh, do I have to look at this? And it's, what? Okay, we look at it. And so it just look. I, I was in the Liberty Bell pub uh, before the gig, watching this moment, and there was it, it was a neutral crowd. There were no real Arge- Argentina fans or Poland fans. Uh, when the penalty was given, there were audible boos when people saw the uh, replay up on screen. And when Chesney saved, I mean. The place That's erupted. Mad, did it? Yeah, it's erupted. Yeah, uh, it was justice. Yeah, a horrible decision and a great save, by the way. Very good goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. He's Definitely, very good. like in the, in the, uh, you can't get the golden gloves. Is, uh, is golden gloves not like for the most clean sheets, or is it actually uh, is it a vote? Was the best keeper? I, I mean, he's he's in the shout for it. Yeah. I mean, it was Courtois right up until he threw the ball to his own net. Yeah, uh, I don't mean any, this is in any way offensive to, to Poland fans, but I mean Poland were extremely cowardly last night as well in the way they played. Like in in terms of holding on desperately, uh, like if Mexico had scored, all of a sudden they're out and they're going, why did we do that? And what like. Mexico did score one of the goals of the tournament. Unbelievable. Luis Chavez free kick. Uh, 35 yards with the production meeting this morning. Column uh, producer was kept banging on about this. He was like, you have to talk about this. And to be fair, what a free kick. Left foot roof. It was one of those that kind of defies physics and just keeps rising to the top corner. And you're like, uh, all the superlatives 
can be used. And all the cliches as well, like the keeper couldn't have got to it. No, I don't think so. Like he literally, it's it's, it's pretty much impossible to hit a football any better than... It's Lewis a proper thunder bastard. Now, yeah. uh, does this, like, I, I, there is, certainly in American uh, soccer, there is a school of thought that says take more shots from distance because, uh, you know, if you're not in the lottery, you can't, you don't have a ticket. But, um, I'd love to see the actual global data on shots from outside the box and the propensity to score because, like, this is too far out. To you're, not, you're not supposed to score from there. Like, 35 yards. I did also think the wall for Rashford's goal was like, lads, would you, would you, could you cover the goal? Put would some you? respect on his name. They didn't expect him to score. Well, but, like, they did seem to be very far back yeah. and kind of like, oh, if you just kick it over to that far corner where the goalkeeper isn't and there's no one standing, you know, you do that there and we'll see what happens. And, and then he does and you're like, oh yeah, good man, you, you did exactly what we... It's like, what? Defend! Anyway, uh, most clean sheets for golden gloves. Okay, so uh, Chesney's obviously okay. not going to get it. Um, Owen O'Connor says, does Shane think anyone can stop Fred from being player of the tournament? I'm getting this reputation. I, I actually said Casemiro. I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure I said Casemiro instead of Fred. Well, I think I said for, I, I think I mentioned that Fred. Up. Oh, someone someone look it up. I think I mentioned Fred would have a he could have a decent tournament. He hasn't been the the man that Brazil needed. Casemiro has and Richarlison has, but um ah I think I said Casemiro and and like at this moment in time I'd, I'd still take that bet. Casemiro could well be player of the tournament. It's often given to a player like that who kind of comes in unless a Brazilian player goes on to score six seven becomes the player of the tournament or the top scorer of the tournament. Well. Fair enough. Uh, it's going to be Richardson at this stage if, if things continue to yeah. go the way that well. It's going to be Mbappe if obviously if France win. This is decided after the winners win. Yeah, the best player on the winning team gets it, and so I don't know. Is Casemiro in that? I mean, he's probably not far off the discussion at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Eamon Kelly says the cure play at the point tonight. Better gig, lads. I mean, uh, yeah, certainly. I mean, if you're of a certain generation, I think um, Shane's generation might prefer last night. Uh, yeah. Your your and mine might be. Uh, more into the I do remember Robert Smith saying he's going to retire at 40 I think he's 60 something and he's still going so fair play to him Captain um, Lit yeah uh, alright what else do you want to talk about yeah there's a few other bits I mean the World Cup it's bringing up too many talking points almost now because you're like we were looking up this morning so the only the, the, ne- the first um, break we have I think is next Tuesday and Wednesday between the last 16 and the quarterfinals where we can finally actually sit down and go let's reflect and analyse so we were just saying this is like the best this is a great weekend so Tuesday and Wednesday's off next week they're off yeah. but yeah, then yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday it's constant you get the quarterfinals starting then um, the quarterfinals starting on Thursday they start on Thursday yes oh. I'm really sure I thought it was Friday I thought it was Saturday, Sunday four quarterfinals well this so this Saturday <clears throat> is the last 16 starting um, so you've got Saturday Netherlands, USA Argentina, Australia and then on Sunday the only other two round of 16 Friday, Saturday next week Friday, Saturday, the following week. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Friday, the quarterfinals. Ninth, tenth of the, December. Ninth, the tenth is the the quarterfinals, and then the Tuesday and Wednesday, thirteenth and fourteenth is the semi semifinals. That quarterfinal weekend is going to be the greatest weekend of football in world history. Ah, oh, yeah. Apparently, the viewership figures are through the roof for the Winter World Cup. Who knew? <laughs> like, People of time. Like, do you know? But the kids, I feel sorry for kids who are in school and don't get to properly experience it. I know there's the evening games where they get to watch maybe the 3 o'clock match and the 7 o'clock match so it's okay now for the rest of the tournament but well, they would I'm, have missed a lot of group I'm games. certainly aware of some schools that were like well we just watched 45 minutes of football here. Oh did they? Yeah. yeah. Oh, fair enough. Even though Ireland aren't in it. Is, is, is that a universal experience? Has anybody else out there had uh, kids coming home going oh we watched a bit of football today and I'm like fair play. Yeah. Because it's the World Fucking Cup so you can, you can watch it. 
Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if if schools did that. I thought it was because my experience, of course, two thousand and two was the TV being rolled out for Robbie Keane's goal against Germany and that sort of thing. So I wasn't sure if that was a Irish had to be in the tournament thing or if that was a the World Cup is on thing. I, I, any teacher that puts on the the football for the kids, fair play, because I think it's it's one of those moments. I don't know. There's no wheeling in TVs anymore. I'm sure they <laughs> like just blink and it comes up onto a screen somewhere. Or teacher just presses a button on the desk and some big James Bond type gadget comes out and lasers it up onto the screen I don't know how it works now but yeah you know, pretty much back in my day and they don't have blackboards anymore oh. uh, Mark Dunning says Luca Modric won it in 2018 of course of course Luca Modric won it in 2018 but yeah. that was very much an outlier like um, you would have said Zidane was the best player in the World Cup in 2006 but they yeah. gave it to Cannavaro because they couldn't really give it to Zidane after the, the headbutt but maybe they probably should still have given it to Z- I don't know well, this I, is I like- was actually surprised that they did give it to Modric in the end you know, there were some decent candidates from the winners. I'd like to see a little bit more of that, even in terms of man of the match, like like Shane Walsh being a perfect example. Like that sort of stuff needs to happen more. Give the award to the best player on the day or in the tournament. Don't just pandy, pander to the, I guess, uh, winning team and feel like you have to give it to a certain player. No offence to David Clifford, he had a great year last year. Not bad, yeah. And he's going to get enough... Uh uh, individual accolades anyway OGBAM yeah. brought to you live each morning with Gillette in association with Movember effortless shave magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at Movember.com today's the last day we're going to be telling you about that because obviously uh, Movember is over uh, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock on the show this morning Lars Silverson is going to join us uh, in two minutes uh, we have Rasmus Tantold who you might remember from the very start of the World Cup was the Danish journalist who was doing an interview at a roundabout when all of a sudden the Qatari police came over like no 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 no, no. you can't be doing it. you cannot be broadcasting here and he's like no I totally can be I'm like uh, I'm here for that whole reason so we're going to talk to him at quarter past uh, eight uh, Denmark obviously out of the World Cup uh, Kieran Walsh is the Monaghan man currently ranked number two at uh, FIFA Esports in Ireland He's going to join us at 8.25 with some tips and hints. Uh, Sports News with John Duggan at 8.35. Will Greenwood is going to join us to talk to us about uh, what he thinks the future for Eddie Jones is at 8.50. Anna Harrington um, from the Australian Associated Press is going to talk to us at 10 past nine about the fact that they are through to the round of last 16 uh, where they're going to face Argentina. Um, that's the second time only ever in their history that they've qualified for the uh, last 16. Uh, right. Um, the other big news on the back page is here. Saudis offer Ronaldo deal for 170 million a year. I was looking at these headlines this morning, and, and there was back pages that said, like the back page of the Guardian kind of summed up the the where the Messi Ronaldo situation is now. Argentina advanced despite Messi woe, and then up the top, Al Nasser want free agent Ronaldo to play in Saudi Arabia, 173 million pounds a year offer. Won't be taxed on that either. Um, you'd imagine in Saudi Arabia, so. It, this, is, this is like the period where we, we knew it was going to happen at some point. So it's 1st of December 2022 and the Ronaldo S. Messi era is pretty much closing well, for, if, for, for our eyes. If you, if you think about the amount of money that they gave Phil Mickelson mm. to play golf, which <laughs> is golf, and you can give the same amount of money to Ronaldo to play football, which is football, like Ronaldo's social following and uh, clout online mm-hmm. and influence and celebrity is stratospherically different from Phil Mickelson. On a global scale, mm-hmm. and they're like, "Yeah, we'll give we'll give you the same as Phil Mickelson." Yeah, you know? play a global sport. Um, like, like Ronaldo would be would be mad not to take money like this. Uh, he probably only has what three, two, three years maybe where he can get this kind of money and still draw in a lucrative crowd because he's still playing to a high level, high enough level. But um, from his point of view, 
the, the whole interview with Piers Morgan and everything that happened towards the tail end of Manchester United was down to ego. He, he couldn't accept the fact that he isn't at the level that he used to be at and he's not the main man anymore and teams aren't built around him. So I wonder, is that ego still hurt a little bit and bruised by the fact that maybe Saudi Arabian clubs are the only ones that are in for him? He's I not think, at the um, level anymore to play I think Europe. that if you're Ronaldo, the, the cushion of money that you sleep on will um, will well, soften that blow a little bit. It's uh, money, though. I'm delighted to say broadcaster and journalist Lars Severson is with us this morning. Lars, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, guys. How's it going? Yeah, good. Tell me, um, before we get into the World Cup itself, what, what's your uh, instinct about where Cristiano ends up playing football? That's a fascinating question, isn't it? Because you can under, obviously understand from the money side of it, uh, some sort of uh, transfer to, to Saudi would, uh, I'm sure, appeal to him. But surely with him, you, you've got enough money at some point. That, that shouldn't be a motivating factor for him. I know that's easy to say about wealthy people. They all seem to be quite happy to accumulate more wealth. And, 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 and perhaps that's just how it goes. But all the stuff about not being happy at Man United and Man United not progressing as a club that he's come out with, all that looks a bit stupid if you then move somewhere that doesn't have much of appeal in the sporting sense. Surely he wants another crack at some kind of big time uh, <laughs> level of uh, level of football, wherever that may be. Now, I think if he's willing to to maybe ease off with some of the wage demands that there there might be possibilities for him there, even if it's not quite in the stratosphere that he imagines. But you can imagine where a club in Portugal, for instance, or one of the sort of secondary uh, big uh, the tier club in, in Europe could, could take him. But it, it's a very strange situation, I think, uh, because there is such a discrepancy between where he appears to see himself and where I think most of the sport sees him at this point in time The the money for the European teams is, is very interesting because you can't really justify paying 600 grand a week or whatever the, the, the fee has been up to this point in wages if you're anybody who isn't uh, PSG and turns out they already have some good striking talent there maybe Real Madrid might be able to justify paying him something but again he's kind of going to be a bit of a, an opportunity stopper unless unless the injury um, that Benzema has is, is more serious and maybe comes in. Yeah. Has and, f- and even, I mean, we see him linked with like Napoli. Like, I don't think he starts ahead of Victor Oshiman. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a strange one with him because like, I'm not writing him off. He obviously is still Cristiano Ronaldo and he still has some incredible sort of goal scoring instincts and all this. But he does have some limitations that makes it really challenging to to set up a team around him. And I think the teams at the very highest level, eh, I'd be surprised if any of them went for him, to be honest. It it feels like the changing of a guard, Lars. I mean, you see Ronaldo heading to Saudi potentially, Messi's performances not the same as he as he was, and then the likes of Mbappe and Haaland just kind of taking over. It's passing of the guard in many ways in football at the moment. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is becoming very, very clear. I mean, you, you could... <laughs> You could argue that actually the last World Cup was the moment when we understood, in a sense, that while they're still great, Messi and Ronaldo are kind of on on the way down a little bit. Whereas uh, Kylian Mbappe sort of announced himself, uh, well, had announced himself, but but showed in that tournament uh, that he is the coming man. And, and certainly this uh, this tournament, it's completely unavoidable to, to to reach that conclusion. He's not even the main man, Messi, with with Argentina anymore. Like you're watching the match last night, and you're seeing people like Alexis McAllister stepping up, and all of a sudden, a team that that completely revolved around him just doesn't anymore. Yeah, though I would say that in the specific case of Argentina, that might not be a negative. I think part of their problem in this time where they've had Messi for the national team is that 
We watch them play, and it seems like some of the players are almost in awe of him, and 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 there's a tendency to just give him the ball and just wait and see what happens now, uh, you know. Whereas if the, even if you have Messi in your team, it's good if the team functions like a normal football team where people make runs and move around and do the stuff that normal football teams do. That that kind of actually helps Messi to do his stuff. Uh, so so I think in in that sense that might be a positive. I'm having said that, not super impressed by what they've done so far in the tournament, Argentina. Really strange because i've watched some of their qualifying games and obviously we remember remember them winning the copa america and, and they, they looked like they were really actually putting it together and that this could be the time when finally they have a team good enough to to help messi and carry messi along to actually get to the final but uh, not impressive so far i think one of the things that happens as well in world cups is that teams suddenly find themselves over the next week and there's so many examples of uh, teams stuttering through group stages and then somebody finds form, something happens back-to-back or a penalty shootout goes their way and they're suddenly free from the burden of, of what it was that was holding them back or a row in the camp allows the manager to finally pick the right team. And I think we're kind of waiting for a couple of the teams who are not performing well to have something either go horribly wrong or horribly right. Argentina are kind of in that mix for one of those teams who you could see a significant step up in improvement or they could crash out horribly against Australia. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a good shout. I remember uh, Roberto Martinez of, of Belgium uh, said that uh, after after the Canada game, he was, he was kind of they won the game, but the interview after the game was a little bit more of an aggressive questioning. Obviously, because they were terrible, and uh, and he did make the point. And whether I'm not sure it's true for Belgium, but I think it's a good point in general, which is that this is a tournament that more than any other World Cup, teams might have to grow into a little bit because they haven't had a couple of weeks in like a training camp setting together before the tournament to figure stuff out they've all, they've all just kind of been flown in from various parts of the world and suddenly thrown together and, and have to figure everything out with a few training sessions and it, it seems that can that could you, you buy yourself time almost by you know getting a job done in the group stages and you, you're kind of hoping it comes together I remember writing uh, preview material uh, for this tournament and I kept repeating myself saying well this team has enough talent to go very far but there are some big shortcomings here and I'm not sure how it's going to work out I think that's true for like five or six teams really and it's a really fascinating tournament in that regard I think a lot of um, teams and, and countries have negative stories around them and it wouldn't be a World Cup without a negative story or two and, and some controversy around the team. Like you mentioned, Roberto Martinez, Belgium seemed to be that team where he's having to deny rumours from the camp of unrest and he's hitting out of the Belgian media as well, saying fake news. And I guess they're the country that, that is really, really dis- disappointed. But given the age profile, it's perhaps no surprise. Yeah, uh, I mean... Yeah, the the whole question going into it, you know, is this the last chance for the golden generation of Belgium? No, I don't think it is at all. I think the last World Cup was the last chance for the golden generation of of Belgium. I think they always had certain shortcomings, certain positions where they weren't that strong. And now quite a few of the good players have aged out. And even players who are still around, like Eden Hazard has had a terrible time since going to Real Madrid. And that shouldn't make light of it because it's been mostly... Caused by injuries and injuries, of course, is not his fault, but it, it hasn't worked out well for him at all. And Romelu Lukaku, you know, the last 18 months of his career haven't been very positive with the failed move back to England and then going back to Italy, hoping to rediscover his groove and then having injuries this autumn. So, so some of the Belgian players are, are kind of, well, some have aged out entirely and some are very much on, on the down curve and that, the defense feels like it's been kind of old and slow and over it for quite a while now. And it's certainly not looking very impressive. 
they did, of course, try to bring in some uh, some fresh impetus with Andre Onana in midfield in the last game, and that he gave them some legs. But like a midfield two of Andre Onana and Axel Witzel, you're not. It's not exactly very sort of from a playmaking perspective. I mean, suddenly you start having trouble moving the ball forwards. It's they, they were very very unimpressive in that game against uh, Morocco, and I'd, I'd be really surprised if they were able to do anything today against the Croatia. It's funny, isn't it? But at the same time, if they were to suddenly uh, get a, a, um, an electrification of form from one or other of their key players, you can see how one player can drag a team to quarterfinal, semifinal in this World Cup. Yeah, that's the caveat we keep uh, having to make when we're talking about these things in a, in a setting that is recorded and broadcast through the technology of the internet, is that uh, to avoid looking stupid in the future, you have to always say, listen, all these things can be wrong with Belgium, but they still got Kevin De Bruyne. It's entirely possible that in the game today against Croatia, you know, fifth minute, Kevin De Bruyne just uh, just slaps one in the top corner from 30 yards and, you know, off you go. I mean, <laughs> that's how these things can work. And... You know, World Cups are funny because I mean, very often when we're talking about football and we're analyzing football teams, we're kind of talking about systems and who's got a group that works and who's got a method that works and a process that works. Because over a sort of 38 game league season in the Premier League, for instance, having the best system and the best group and the best collective and the best method is usually what'll, what'll win it out for you in the end. And that's true to an extent about the World Cup, but the World Cup is, I think, so much more about moments as well than just having an ideal system. I mean, we can, we can, we'll, we'll get to Australia in a minute, but it's uh, it, it's a case of if you have individuals who can execute when it really matters, uh, that that can that can fix so many things for you, even if a lot of other things with the team is wrong. I, as you say that, right? I'm making the case. Oh yeah, I can I can see England doing well. I can see Spain doing well. I can even see. The Dutch doing well under get the system, have somebody have a moment, get the system right, have somebody have a moment. Uh, you can apply it basically to everybody, with maybe the exception of France and Brazil, who are so supremely mm-hmm. talented. But even then, like Brazil have a really, really old centre back who surely yeah. some of these kids are going to run past at some point and he's going to haul down. And whether or not the referee or VAR gives the penalty could be the decisive moment. And that midfield of France, like, really? Is is Rabiot going to be one of those players that well, will look back and go? He won a World Cup. He was brilliant. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do, I do have to say I, I quite like the look of France so far. I mean, this is sort of I'm I'm not much of a controversialist, but I will argue I actually think in one sense the injury to Benzema helps them, not because Drew is a better footballer than Benzema. He absolutely isn't. But but I think also these tournaments are about not just having the highest number of good players in your team and the best players possible, but the right balance. And having a team with like constituent parts that that fit well together, and ever since Benzema came back to the French national team, it's like, oh, it's great. You've got Benzema and Mbappe and Andreas. It's incredible. But like the balance there hasn't looked quite right to me. And when you have Giroud playing and, and Mbappe playing slightly off him, like everyone knows whose whose job is what here. Everyone knows who is the big star and who's there to do a job and to facilitate. And, and I actually think Didier Deschamps has hit upon something with this team now, uh, a, a midfield where you've got yeah. You, you've got no Pogba, no um, no N'Golo Kante or anything, but, but Rabiot has been less bad uh, this year for Juventus. He's got a 
good engine. He runs around a lot. Him next to Chouameni is pretty solid. And we're seeing Antoine Griezmann drop deep in a much deeper role than he's been playing before. Uh, almost, I mean, he, he looks, they put him in like a number 10 spot when you see the team lineup on paper, but he's really been moving around and helping out more like a midfielder for, for a lot of the games. And with then Mbappe and Giroud in that connection that we know works and a sort of resurgent Osman Dembele, who's finally managed to stay fit for a while and, and is, is showing good stuff. Put all this together, and that looks like a really good football team to me, I have to say. Lars, I know you're supposed to have journalistic integrity and therefore be completely immune to the charms of who wins or who loses, but who do you actually want to win? (laughs) I wanted Denmark to do well, so that's just for the sake of Nordic bias. That's obviously not happening well at all. Um, I'd want... Just on, a, just on a personal level, I want some some kind of underdog to do better than expected. Um, I've been really, I mean, this is way out there. I'm not saying they'll win it or anything like it, but I was really impressed with Morocco in their first two games. Yeah, just because I remember again doing preview material, writing about Morocco, going, "Hang on." There are actually quite a lot of good players in the squad, uh, but but will it hang together? Because you know they they fired their manager after qualifying. Uh, so Valid Regagui, who's in charge, he hasn't been there for very long, and you wonder is this going to work collectively? How do all these players fit together? They've got two right backs. What do you do about that? All this sort of stuff. So, so that was my question. But uh, against both Belgium and against Croatia, I thought they did a great job in, in in stopping the opponent by being very clever, not pressing super high all the time, but by positioning them such that you make it difficult for the opponent to play out with uh, Sofian Amrabat doing a really good job tidying up in midfield really well structured looked really well drilled um, and it would be it would be great to see an African uh, country do well uh, in, the, in the tournament and uh, really they look like a team that's going to be kind of awkward to, to beat and awkward to play against I kind of want to whisper this Lars but could England win it? <laughs> and they, they could I think they're in a group of teams who uh, I mean, I mean, to my mind, you 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 put kind of Brazil and France ahead uh, a little bit in in terms of who are the favourites, but then there's a cluster of teams who I frankly find very hard to to separate uh, at this point in time. And, and sure, there's enough quality in the England team to win it. The thing that's a little bit ominous is what happened in the US game, where you met a team that has a really energetic and and, and frankly good midfield, uh, which the US does have that trio of. Um, Tyler Adams uh, and and McKenney and Eunice Musa is those are good footballers and they have a lot of energy and they just really put a lot of pressure on those central midfielders to uh, England and England just couldn't play anymore they just weren't able to play to live with it and they weren't able to to move the ball forwards the way they want to and that that I thought was a little bit ominous um I forget who it was I'm sorry I'm stealing someone's joke but I saw someone on Twitter write that you know the the midfield of Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham are supposedly uh, worth two hundred million pounds, but here we've been outdone by a man named Tyler. I mean that that's not a good sign. And uh, <laughs> there was a little bit of that in that game. Listen, if you look at that squad, of course there's talent to to, to win any game, and and if if you have the players to win anyone you come up against, you've got a you've got a chance at winning the World Cup. But uh, the, the way they sort of stopped functioning the, the second you really put pressure on that midfield, that 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 worried me a lot. I think there is a, a situation where we could, like I'm just looking at the round of 16 fixtures here, half of them are set up so far, um, USA and Netherlands, Australia playing Argentina, Poland, France and England, Senegal. Is there a, a universe here where we could have something like 2002 where you had a South Korea and a Turkey in a World Cup semi-final and, and maybe underdogs can go fairly deep? I mean, you would think uh, that this would be a tournament for that sort of thing. I think the fact that 
teams didn't have the normal time to prepare, that things are a little bit thrown together, perhaps that does favor an underdog because it does mean those teams who've, who've got the incredible individuals haven't really had time or perhaps haven't had time to perfect what they're doing collectively. So, so, so that might be possible. I've, I, I, I'm a romantic at heart, but I'm also deeply cynical about these things. And the trend seems to be that the best teams tend to go the furthest. And um, we've had some interesting little shocks uh, so far in the group. But uh, I, if I'm being honest, I do suspect that the quality will show when we get to the knockouts. Like that that first uh, fixtures that you uh, listed out there, showed Netherlands, USA, Argentina, Australia, the winners of that play each other. And so one of those four teams is going to be uh, you know, fifty-fifty in the semi-final as well. The other bracket yeah. has to be uh, decided. And Netherlands USA is an interesting one because mm-hmm. the Dutch have not been great. I have to say they were they were quite fortunate. I thought to 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 win against Senegal. They were terrible against Ecuador. That was an awful performance. I think they had two shots in the entire game. Very very bad. And then they looked a little bit better against Qatar, but it was against Qatar. So I'm, I'm not really sure. And then it looks to me like uh, Louis van Gaal is kind of scratching around a bit, trying to find what, what his best midfield is. Memphis Depay isn't fully fit. Now, it helps a lot that Cody Gakpo is, is having a bit of a moment and, and carrying on his uh, amazing league form into this tournament and, uh, and scoring goals and looking, looking like the real deal. But, uh, I, I think the Dutch are beatable for the US who, who have their own problems. But I think again, with that very energetic midfield they have to make life difficult for the Dutch who, as we know, like to pass the ball around haven't looked that strong. I think that's an interesting one in terms of an upset. I think the point you made about um, youth and running ability is something that the Americans have in abundance. I think they named the youngest starting Mm -hmm. 11 in the World Cup so far in the last game. So, you know, Pulis's injury is going to be important to watch and if he if he doesn't play, obviously it's a massive blow for them from for all sorts of reasons. But like that might end up being very important in the sprint that we're in at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it could. It's funny you mentioned Pulisic. It's, yeah, they're worried about him, but if he doesn't make it, then they've got, you know, Brendan Aronson of Leeds can come in in that position. Gio Reyna from Dortmund can come into that position. So actually there's almost there's a little bit of depth there. And they've got a strange combination, the U.S., of having a very young squad, yes, but they also have more players, I mean, compared to previous uh, U.S. national teams. They have more players who are playing at a high level in Europe than, than, than ever before, you know? The, the, the midfield is a, a guy from Juventus and a guy from Leeds and a guy from Valencia. And, you know, look across the board, you've got players playing for, for big European clubs there, which hasn't always been the case or hasn't ever really been the case with the US. So there is there is real quality there as well. And the Dutch have been so unimpressive. They're certainly, as you mentioned earlier, sometimes teams just scrape through the group stage and then they just kind of find themselves. And at the end of the day, it's a short tournament. You only need to win a couple of more games and you've done very well. Maybe that'll happen with the Dutch. But based on what we've seen in the group stage, I think the US are more than capable of beating Holland. Lars, a lot of love for you in the comments. Uh, William Doyle says you need to be a regular. And then uh, James wants to know, uh, what do you think? If Ireland had made it to this World Cup, how would we have done? Would we have won any games? Mm. Well, I, I think you could have, yeah. I guess I think if you look at, I mean, I know this is slightly, um, uh, slightly different from what you guys are doing now under Stephen Kenny. You're trying to play more football and be more confident with the ball and have more possession, which I think is a, is a good, good direction to, to go in. But you also have to say, if you look at what Australia have managed to do, uh, of being very combative, quite direct, but just really winning your 50-50s as much as you can and just not making life easy for the opponent and, and making them work for everything and, and, and hoping to catch them on a bit of an off day. 
there's no reason Ireland couldn't have done that, really. If you, I mean, you, you, I know you worry a little bit about uh, do you have enough players in the Premier League these days? I mean, the Australians don't have any players in the Premier League. Like this is a team made up of guys from from the A League, from from Scotland, and uh, and Mitchell Duke, who plays in the second tier in Japan. Like the, the, it is possible at these tournaments to sort of overperform in terms of where your your teams, where, where your individual, where they are uh, in their club career, anyway. So, so I think again. Looking at a team like Australia should should give you give you hope, no? Yeah, yeah. I guess we were looking at um, Wales and Denmark and going, oh well, they tend to be better than us at the moment. Maybe <laughs> maybe the Welsh cycle is over because their best players are no longer any good. And yeah, you you worry about that a little bit. Just um, listen, I, I think. Well, I don't know how you see that from Ireland, but certainly here in the UK, people just have so much. Um, so much sympathy and, and and goodwill towards the Welsh team, and really want them to to do well because it's, it's great how they've uh, how they've punched above their weight in the in the last decade or so. But uh, if if there was one big takeaway from their tournament is that uh, that Bale and Ramsey look like they're they look like they're past it now, man. And and a few of the other guys who have really been carrying the, the carrying that team, Joe Allen's been really good for them. It looked like they might not be at the level that they used to be. And listen, there's some pretty interesting young players coming through there. So maybe in a couple of years, but but this group, yeah, that. That cycle looks like it's at an end. How's the leg, Lars? <laughs> That's very kind of you to ask. It's 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 getting better. It's getting better. It's it's a long long recovery time, but uh, I'll get there. We well, wish you all the best. Nothing better to do than sit on the couch and watch football for the next month. So that's okay. But it's good. I can do all the exercises on my ankle to to get it moving again. So it's it's great. Listen, great to have you with us. Thanks a million, Lars. Cheers. Anytime, guys. Bye. It's uh, Lars Stevenson there, and um, a, a brilliant debut. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. That Australia Ireland comparison has kind of got me thinking. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's much better. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. But like, if we played Australia, same same spiral has been interrupted. It has. Like, I often think, like, if we had been, you know, pitched against Australia in in a qualification campaign or in a friendly, right, like before this tournament had started, we said, yeah, yeah, we can beat them, lads. But then you look at them in a World Cup and you're like, hold on a minute, Australia are actually pretty good. Yeah. So, and, and as he says, much, much bigger country, much better weather than us. Like, well, how can we compare? Yeah, but we're always giving out of players not playing in the Premier League. He's just made the point that Australia don't have any players at that level. Like yeah. one, of the, one of their goal scorers is in the second tier of Japan, so that, that kind of sums it up. Uh, right, Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. The festive season is obviously officially here, so why not enjoy a shot of gingerbread goodness in your Braeburn Coffee today? Available at Apple Green locations nationwide. After the break, journalist Rasmus Tantold of TV2 in Denmark, who went viral from Qatar when his live report on the eve of the World Cup was interrupted. We'll speak to us about covering the tournament at the ground and what's gone wrong with the Danes. Now, I'm delighted to say we're going back to uh, Qatar. Rasmus Tantult is a journalist from Denmark who went pretty viral at the start of the World Cup when the Qatari authorities interrupted a live report. Uh, Rasmus, first off, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good. It's hot, but of course we're all devastated in Denmark after what happened uh, yesterday. So, well, I feel I feel okay, but, um, well, I'm very disappointed. Um. It wasn't really just yesterday that this happened, though. It's kind of been a slow, steady letting out of the air and the Danish tyres. What happened? I mean, in Denmark and many other places, we talked about should we boycott the World Cup? Should we not watch it at all on the television back home in Denmark? Should the Danish Football Association boycott it? Should the players boycott it and not attend the World Cup? Some people will say... They did. They did not attend this World Cup. They boycotted the World Cup in Qatar by the way they played. I mean, uh, I watched all the, the matches in the stadium and they just wasn't there. It's like they didn't understand. This is a World Cup. It's now. It's now you have to perform. And we played against teams that 
we believe we are supposed to beat easily like uh, Tunisia and Australia, but they played their hearts out. They played that Denmark should have done. So people are extremely disappointed. And also, you know, with the whole fairy tale story about Denmark, Christian Eriksen literally dying on the pits in the Euro Cup and the fairy tale that happened afterwards, like him coming back after eight months, uh, motivating the whole team now playing in the big stage again in the World Cup. And there was so much expectations for this Danish team and they just was a fiasco. It was a fiasco, to be honest with you. It's funny, Rasmus, because the, the Danish coach, Kasper Hillman, that he's, he's talked after the match about being too emotional, that the Danish players were too emotional almost to, to focus. Like, what, what does he mean by that? Because it's an, it's an experienced team. You'd imagine they'd be able to, to set emotions to one side. It's professional players playing in big clubs, so they, yeah, should be able to do that. But, of course, there's been a lot of debate up to this World Cup, like everywhere else in, in Europe. I mean, uh, should the Danish player wear the uh, rainbow-colored one-love armband, or shouldn't they, even though FIFA say they were not allowed to? They have done it anyway. Uh, the support from the Danish people haven't been the same. Uh, this is a World Cup in Qatar. Some people believe it shouldn't be here at all. Uh, and uh, they wanted to see the Danish team not just talk about human rights and how this team, you know, also um, having some values that they really stand up for. But when it comes to it and they are here, they didn't do it. So, I mean, I think the players, they could, you know, lying in their beds in their room in Qatar, they could watch the headlines in Denmark, not being very nice to the Danish national team as they used to be in the Euro Cup. They could do nothing wrong. Everything was magic, whatever they did. And the headlines everywhere was, you know, very positive. The Danish people were very positive out in the streets, celebrating all the time. But this time they didn't have the same support and maybe it affected them. I don't know, but there must be some kind of explanation uh, to that performance. The thing is that this team obviously is the same team, effectively, or largely the same team that went out on penalties to Croatia four years ago. We know that team very well. Christian Eriksen came to Dublin, scored an amazing hat-trick, ripped us apart in about half an hour of some of the best football that we've seen at our national stadium, maybe since it's been redeveloped, um, which is like 20 years at this point. So, you know, we, we, we all thought you guys were... Shane thought you were dark horses to win the whole thing. Uh, I don't know. And, and that's why it's so difficult to understand why they can't actually put a performance together when... All of the, even the age profile, maybe certain players are a little bit too old, but it doesn't make any sense. Is the manager capable of explaining anything? And is the, is the postmortem focusing on bad management, mismanagement of resources? Is it just a collective sigh of the shoulders, shrug of the shoulders and a sigh and say, okay, that's football. Sometimes it doesn't happen. I mean, now they're talking about did he select the right players? Because actually many of the players, when they played against Ireland or when they played the Euro Cup, they were actually also in the start 11 in the clubs that they are uh, playing on a daily basis. But many of the players, they're not in the start 11 anymore. Um, you have uh, some of the really, really, you know, very valued player at the Danish team who hasn't been performing in the last couple of, well, say, six months or so. And some people would say that um, the Danish coach, Julman, he should also have looked at who is actually playing in the start 11 in big European clubs and not just stick to the same old team as he has done for the last couple of years, even though they used to have some success. And it was also a matter of, you know, the spirit on the team, those players, they created something together. Sometimes you have to, you know, use people who are actually performing 
performing right now uh, up to the World Cup. And many of these players, they didn't perform very well up to this uh, World Cup. So that has been some of the criticism and also some criticism that, you know, you're talking about values, you're talking about that football is is um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's bigger than just football, yeah. you know, Christian Eriksen, what happened to him and all these things. And then when they came, they couldn't stand up for those uh, values. And the criticism might have some influence. But this is professional football players. You know, they are, you know, supposed to uh, uh, perform in an environment where you sometimes get criticized. So people are stunned. I mean, people, they don't understand what actually happened to this team. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Hey, Rasmus, you're, you're a veteran of covering multiple World Cups, but I know that your day job is actually international coverage. So as a, as a journalist who's not a day-to-day football um, journalist, what's your instinct about the impact that this World Cup is going to have? What, what was the point in Qatar trying to host this World Cup, in your view, having experienced it on the ground now? Well, I think that the Qataris, they really hoped that they would get a lot of positive reviews that people from Ireland, Denmark and everywhere in the world, they would say, wow, let's go and have a holiday in Qatar. Let's invest in Qatar. But I think it's ended up as a kind of a boomerang uh, for uh, the Qatari government because, you know, what we have seen here is that um, it can be difficult to report. If you're a sports reporter, it might be possible uh, to do it easily. You go from one stadium to the other and report about the, the sport, but I also covers, you know, the good sides and the bad sides about the society. I did that also in Russia, in Brazil, in South Africa, in Germany, in South Korea, Japan. Uh, so that's what we do as journalists. We portray the host country, but that has been pretty difficult, uh, as you might know, because I ran into some difficulties with the authorities. And uh, I mean, it, it is not us revealing the Qatari government and the Qatari regime. It was them re- revealing themselves. And uh, I mean, my experience is traveling around the world that, you know, uh, the more dirty laundry you have in the basement, you don't want to show to the public, the more difficult it is to work as a journalist. Yeah. Let's just roll that video because I think um, people might be familiar, very familiar with what you're talking about at this stage. It's a bit for a whole del critique. What do you do for a whole lot Jamen, vi kan jo vise, hvordan forholdene er lige her, hvis vi drejer kameraet. We are live on Danish television, og der kan I se, nu bliver vi, nu bliver vi stoppet med at filme, og det er forholdene her. Mister, you invited the whole world to the, you, you invited the whole world to come here. Why can't we film? It's a public place. This is the uh, accreditation. Okay. We can film anywhere we want. Okay. There are only, of course... For the Qatar. Qatar, you have Because rule. the Qatar is a No, 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 we don't need permit. Yeah. No, no, but, 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 no, but listen, but listen, but listen, but you can break the camera you want to yeah, break the camera okay no, you break the camera okay yes. so you're threatening us by, by 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 smashing the camera what what happened next well the next thing that happened was that uh, we were asked to to stay there for a while because they want wanted to check well did we actually have the right permissions as i told them we had and after 30 minutes uh, their supervisor arrived he looked at our permissions he said sorry guys you have the right permissions and i mean when i reflect on all this i think They just did what they have been told to do for the last many years. If they see journalists uh, working in the Qatar, they have to check if um, they actually have the right permissions. And often it is very difficult to get those permissions because they don't want to show the dirty laundry they have in their basement and, and, and they don't want that to be published everywhere. And I guess that is why they just didn't was informed 
that during the World Cup, guys, you have to behave a little bit because now media are coming from all over the world. You cannot arrest people for, for filming in the street or, or, or threatening them by smashing the camera. I mean, uh, imagine if they did that to many journalists down here. I, I'm not the only one who uh, was stopped uh, in filming here. Uh, so, I mean, that has been some kind of a challenge for the Qatari government to accept that, well, you invited us, yeah, and we're going to portray your country. We're going to go around taking pictures, talking to happy people and to sad people and talk about your society. Were you surprised by that treatment, Rasmus, or were you half expecting it before you went over? I mean, I know the police did, essentially. Like, were you expecting what happened? I mean, I've been traveling in many countries where I have been stopped from uh, filming, but I was a little surprised that during a World Cup, that they prepared for 12 years, that they wasn't prepared for us doing a live broadcast from a roundabout. I mean, I was not uh, sneaking into a, a migrant labor camp uh, showing some how some of the migrants there are uh, living in very bad conditions. That wasn't actually what I did there. I was just doing a live broadcasting. And, uh, you know, I was pretty surprised that they were not more prepared for the whole, whole world to come and, you know, uh, portray the country. I, I want to roll another video here. This is um, you, you filmed uh, fans at the Iranian match as well. I'm just going to roll this tape here, and we can talk about it afterwards. Yes, These journalists. What did they do? They, they attacked us. They attacked us. They attacked this girl for nothing. I'm not we need security. Here. We don't have security here. here. Look at me. We need no, 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 no. Just no, don't, leave. Don't, 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 don't leave. Don't, don't leave. No, 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 don't leave. I'm not. I'm, I'm not trusting anybody here. No, no, no. We need. We need secure exit from here. Now, how? Find phone, please. So tell us what happened. No, no, no. They just started attacking us. Is it because of the T-shirt? Yeah, because of the T-shirt. All right. No, no, but please don't go from here because I don't trust nobody. Even the police is with them. I, we need to get out of here. No, 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 Please, I beg you. My friend, my friend. We just want to go home. We just want to go home. No, we just want to go home. So of our radio listeners these are Iranian fans and they're wearing t-shirts that says woman life freedom on it what, what happened there well it was after after the match between USA and uh, Iran and uh, actually I was there to cover you know the fact that USA are playing against Iran with the historical um, you know um, disagreements they had uh, and you know uh, that could be interesting but it turned out that the focus was, was totally different because after the match uh, one um, group of Iranians representing the uh, Iranian regime, they attacked some people, as you saw, uh, representing the protests against the regime that are happening right now in uh, Iran. And um, they didn't feel that the Qatari police, they were protecting them at all. And, you know, uh, the Qatari regime has been accused many times of uh, cooperating very closely to the Iranian regime, rejecting Iranian journalists coming from exile to cover the World Cup to come here uh, and uh, also, you know, letting in a lot of people from the uh, intelligence service in Iran to keep an eye on all these people wearing T-shirts protesting against the Iranian regime. Because for them, this is a possibility, a stage 
to talk about these things that are happening in Iran because I cannot go to Iran to cover that because I cannot get a media visa. It's impossible for uh, international journalists to, to go to Iran at the moment. So this whole stage, the World Cup, is also a possibility for them to express their feelings about what's going on in Iran. And what happened was that they were attacked. And not even just this guy you saw here, but also a family with uh, with two uh, crying kids that uh, came up to us. So it was, uh, I mean, uh, I was, to be honest with you, uh, pretty shocked about what uh, what happened because, uh, you know, this is a World Cup. This this is supposed to be a celebration. Uh, all countries coming together, uh, having a party and to talk about our, our common passion, which is uh, football that brings us all together. But definitely it didn't bring the Iranian people together. Were you asked to get rid of that footage, Rasmus? Definitely. The, the police, they didn't want us to film that as well um, because they don't want this picture of Qatar having got control of things like this. So they uh, asked me to uh, delete the pictures and I refused, of course, because I'm at a stadium. If I cannot film at a stadium during a World Cup, I don't know where I can film them. And uh, they detained me for uh, 15 minutes uh, they wouldn't let me go. I asked them plenty of times, please let me go. I don't want to be detained by you. Uh, and um, But but they, 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 they did that and uh, they tried to force me to uh, delete the pictures, trying to take my phone, but I rejected it. And uh, that is why you could actually roll that uh, clip uh, as you just did, because I, 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 of course, wouldn't do that. And in the end, they let me go. I guess because this is the World Cup. If, if this was one year ago, they wouldn't have done that. I would might be in, in jail right now. I don't know. But because of the World Cup and because they don't want all this bad publicity, I guess they let me go and I can now stand here and talk to you. Um, is your tournament over now that uh, Denmark are out or will you stay around until the final and keep reporting? After this interview, I have to call my editor back home because actually I don't know. I mean, I'm actually uh, enjoying this World Cup. Uh, I know that it has been criticized a lot. But when you are here and you see that you have a World Cup in a small country where you can go down the street and meet fans from 32 different nations, that is actually amazing. I mean, you couldn't do that in Russia where you had to travel 6,000 kilometers to watch a match sometimes and you only meet fans from the uh, opponent's team that you are playing. Uh, here you can meet everyone. And uh, that is one of the positive things. There are a lot of uh, things to talk about that could be better in Qatar. I know about that. But one thing that is positive is that you can um, be so many people together about football in a small uh, place. So I'm going to miss that. Uh, but uh, I don't know exactly when I'm going to go uh, back home. But thanks to the Danish team, it will be earlier than expected. Rasmus, it's been brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much and keep up the good work. Thanks. That was a really interesting insight into what it's actually like on the ground and also uh, what went wrong with the Danes. This is this is the dichotomy of the World Cup. Like, the football is really interesting, but everything else is also like, holy shit. That interview pretty much sums up the World Cup, doesn't it? Like, because he's, he's, he's enjoying the World Cup, he's get, he gets to talk about the football, but then you see videos like that and you're like, this is shocking. Yeah. So, it, it, you're dead right, right? So, here is somebody who would, within their rights, be saying, this is absolutely appalling, I can't believe I'm here, this is you know, horrific. And then it's like, actually, I'm really enjoying it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, literally the whole experience of the, um, the organisers and the heavy-handedness and also, like, really, this is what they're the authorities are doing on their best behaviour. Yeah, this is this is them at their very best, as opposed to when there's nobody around, they're just breaking the camera and going. Yeah, I told you it's going to break the camera. I brought the camera. What do, what are you going to do about it? And this is the, the mad thing is that we're seeing Rasmus's clips because he's posting them. Uh, other this is happening to other journalists where they're being stopped, as he points out, and then the Iranian clip, like 
if he hadn't happened to have been there that particular second, he wouldn't have got that, that clip. So how many times over is this happening where we're not seeing the, the results and we're not seeing people being detained for, for wearing T-shirts that just spell out basic human rights uh, issues? I mean, that's why we need journalists like Rasmus on the ground over there because at least they're covering it. And I guess even beforehand, people were like, oh, journalists shouldn't be going over. They shouldn't be covering this because it's uh, a tainted World Cup. But when you see videos like that coming out from journalists on the ground over there, you're like, well, this this is why there are journalists over there. And I mean, people like Rasmus, if they keep doing it for the next couple of weeks, I hope that, and I hope they do, because there will be more videos like that. Um, I think for the duration of this, the Qatar... I had no just, idea that they were cooperating with the regime and allowing the uh, the intelligence services to come in and spy on Iranians who were there to watch football. Madness. Complete madness. Sorry, that, those clips of the, the Iranian woman and man crying, I mean... They just want, as they say, I just want to go home. I yeah. just want to get out of here. Yeah, the, it, it's a pity that we couldn't have seen a bit more of Iran in the tournament. Them going deeper would have been a bigger and bigger and bigger story. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, you just get the feeling that, like, when it comes to be written, the history of this World Cup is going to be fairly amazing in terms of its impact on global politics, as opposed to, uh, it was just a football tournament, because that's really not well, the case. Well, it was the 22-year-old who was killed in Iran, Max Amini, in in in, uh, kept in prison essentially in jail that that sort of story wouldn't have come to light because if Iran hadn't been in the World Cup and these fans hadn't been treated the way they are so at least something is coming from it and, and that the, the world spotlight is being shone on Iran and their atrocities We're going to talk about rugby with Will Greenwood and the situation in England in about 15 minutes time if you've got anything you want to get off your chest you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream so youtube.com forward slash off the ball or of course you can get us on Twitter at off the ball AM Now we're brought to you live each morning with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo you can sign up or donate now at movember.com I'm delighted to say we are joined by Kieran Walsh who's a Monaghan man currently ranked number two in the FIFA eSports rankings in Ireland at the moment Kieran, good morning to you how are you getting on? Good morning, lads. How are you? Thanks for having me on. You had a, a big win this week. Yes, yeah. We had our A game for Ireland uh, with Virgin Media down in, in Toronto's Cross in Cork uh, on Tuesday evening. Uh, so it was me and David Myler uh, playing against my teammate at Wild, uh, Tyrone Ryan and Stephanie Roach. And uh, yeah, me and me and Myler took the win there in the in the best of three series. It was a great evening. So you you and Tyrone are teammates at Wild. Just explain for everybody what Wild is. Yes, so Wild is an esports organization. Uh, Wild actually stands for What You Love Doing Esports. Uh, yeah, so I, I signed for them as a as a professional FIFA player about eighteen months ago. And uh, so what they essentially do, you know, they support us, to, uh, you know, to compete in in international tournaments or, or domestic tournaments. And uh, yeah, that's that's what me and Tyrone do. And how many tournaments a year would you take part in? Uh, so it, it, there's there's different so there's partner leagues uh, with FIFA so we'd have like things like an E Champions League and then an E League of Ireland. Uh, we also have uh, five major tournaments uh, across the year that are run by EA and FIFA, and then we have tournaments run by FIFA E. So we've got an E Nation series uh, where we represent Ireland, and you know all the other member associations uh, have have teams that descend to that top competition as well. So it sounds busy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of time spent qualifying for these tournaments. Uh, obviously, you know, it's 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 quite a high standard. Uh, you can't just show up and, and compete to these tournaments. You have to go through various kind of online stages and things like that there before you make it to the the level where you can compete. You said yourself and Tyrone are teammates at Wild, but that like is it this like a Federer and Nadal number one and two rivalry? Modern people don't like Tyrone at the best of times, and 
his name being thrown <laughs> just can only add to it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, of course, it's, it's an interesting one. Like we're, we're teammates for the most part, but then when it comes to the things like the, the League of Ireland, we're, we're obviously, you know, number one and two. So, so we are great rivals there, but. I think it's good to have someone as good as him as well in the country because we we push each other on. You know, we keep we keep driving each other to be better uh, every day, and it's great to have a teammate like that. Is is it a ranking system, or how do you get to number one and two and, and stay there? Yeah, so there's there is different ways of ranking, but uh, that's just based off the the first e League of Ireland tournament. Uh, it was held in 2021, and uh, yeah, Tyrone beat me three 0 in the final. So uh, I'll, I'll be looking for a bit more revenge. I got a bit of revenge Tuesday evening uh, with that win, but uh, I'll be looking for the, the League of Ireland title now coming this year. When you play him and he beats you three 0 what are you? Do you play the same team? Are you both the, like the same team with the same players? How does that work? Yeah, so uh, within FIFA, uh, we play a mode called Ultimate Team. And uh, for for big tournaments like that, uh, we're given kind of a, an unlocked account from from EA, and we can just choose whatever players we want. You know, all the legends like you know we've got R9, Ronaldo, Ruud Hullet, uh They're all kind of big features in the team, so we just have a a straight pick of whoever you want. So you can use okay, anyone so at all. There is actually a bit of strategy involved. Then you don't you're not playing with the same. You get to pick your team and your formation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely a big part of it. Uh, you know, working out tactics and things like that. And that's kind of uh, our job at, when the new FIFA's come out to kind of find all these little tactical advantages. What's good on the game this year? What mechanics are working? You know, do, do I need a big man playing on the wing to, to, to score headers at the back post, for example? Something like that. And it's all those little advantages that, that separate uh, the players. And sorry, you you can obviously see his team, but uh, you don't see the setup of it until afterwards. You have to go back and watch and go, ah, that's how he beat me. Yeah, you can see who who he's using and uh, and his formation, but you can't see the tactics. But uh, yeah, that's that's something that we kind of need to pick up in in game as well. If you notice, he's got a fullback overlapping or or, or something. Uh, it'll be it'll be apparent in the game, and uh, yeah, you might need to to pause the game and adjust your tactics to to counteract that. Does it get lively during the games, Kieran, or is it is it very friendly and amicable? Uh, it's 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 quite competitive now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it it is good fun for the most part. But uh, even even the last Tuesday, it was it was getting quite competitive uh, on the stage with uh, with Myler and, and and Stephanie. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 all about winning. You need that mindset to to compete in these competitions. So. We've been hearing about David Myler's skills on FIFA for for quite some time. Is he is he is he as good as people let on? He is, yeah. He, he doesn't play as much anymore, but uh, no, he he used to be uh, he used to be within the top two hundred uh, in FIFA back in maybe twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen. So uh, no, he was a great teammate to me Tuesday night. But, I was uh, going to say, is that not a bit of a ringer? You've got like an all time great here. Um, although maybe you say he's coming off it a little bit. Like if yeah, you... he's not playing as much anymore. But uh, no, well Stephanie held her own with Tyrone. But yeah, David was he was a great teammate. But I think I'll stick with Tyrone for the for the main competitions this all right, season. Okay, shots fired. Uh, who, who did you play Myler at all? Like even a little pickup game. Uh, briefly for for uh, on, for three four minutes. Uh, well, I was I was two nil up. There you uh, go. There you uh, go. <laughs> yeah, so. that's all we wanted. But next time he's on, it's like ah, I can't believe it, Mara. You've, you've you've let yourself go. What's going on? Yeah. No. Absolutely. So it's not like riding a bike. You you, you actually like as you said, Myler hasn't been playing as much recently, so he's lost a little bit. So you, you can't just pick he's it up. He's got a bad a knee. He's got a bad knee. We should bad let, knee, we should yeah. we should give him a you know. 
<laughs> Got some slack here. Yeah, no, it's it is. Yeah, and and we have to we have to stay sharp. Like like I said, we we've got all those competitions uh, through the season, starting around September time, and it runs right into the the following summer. Uh, yeah, we have to stay sharp, training every day, and things like that. And that's why we're, we're blessed. We've got our uh, our new academy in uh, in Cork City. Uh, it's powered by Virgin Media, so that's our place to kind of get together and and train. So we've got all the best setups, PCs, all that equipment there and the the best internet, of course, so we can get together, train and then we compete from there as well. How many hours a day do you spend playing FIFA? Well, it varies from time to time, but I'd say at a minimum, it's probably five to six hours. Obviously, if you're trying to come into the final days, you're trying to qualify for a tournament and you need to be in the cutoff of, for, for example, the top 256 in Europe. Uh, you know, you need to, to keep up with that and, and put in maybe a few extra hours uh, every day. So it does kind of vary, but five or six at a minimum. And where are you in Europe at the moment? Like, is there an official ranking or do you have just have to instinctively guess that you're in a certain cohort and then try and catapult yourself up? Yeah, so there is there is various rankings. There's no like competitive rankings yet because the first major tournament is the 7th and 8th. Uh, but I'm... It's the top 512 in Europe, and I'm around 400 seed uh, going into that. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's look. It, it will be tough, and the, the competition is uh, is is the levels are really high in, in these tournaments. But uh, no, that's that's why we keep training every day and pushing each other. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be ready for the 7th and 8th of January. What console do you play on, as a matter of interest? Yeah, we play on the PS5. So uh, all competitions on on PS5 now. Uh, yeah. Right, okay. So if anybody's uh, getting into this, get the PS5. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the one if you want to be a pro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kieran, best of luck with everything and thanks a million. If anybody wants to watch back any of the stuff, where's the best place to pick up this to get a, a, a kind of introduction? Yeah, so if you'd want to watch back the game uh, from Tuesday evening, it's on twitch.tv slash Virgin Media Ireland. Uh, the past broadcast is all there. The full best of three is there. And uh, yeah, you can pick up a bit there. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Kieran, thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Perfect. Thanks, guys. It's, uh, Kieran Walsh there. A man and man, currently ranked number two uh, uh, in the esports FIFA rankings in Ireland. Uh, right, it is 8.42. Are we uh, playing the paper sting? No, we're not. John Duggan is here. John, good morning to you. How are you? I'm the spoofer. <laughs> How are you, Jaron Shane? Very good. Any story? We have uh, the Christmas decorations in front of you there today, John. Yeah, happy Christmas, John. Happy Christmas. And are you feeling it yet? No. Are you not? No. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a late developer. So I'll kind of, I'll hit it. I, I, I'm, I'm, 24th? Maybe, no, I'm going to try maybe the 18th, 19th to start my... Um, the World Cup final day, 18th? Yeah, if I'm off that day. Um, that week I'll... I'll probably do a bit of work around the new year, but that week I'll probably be um, getting up the file of facts and uh, seeing who's around and who's around for the the turkey and ham and a few pints around Dublin. It's culture Christmas. You wouldn't be aware of this, John, as a, as a jacking, but culture Christmas December eighth, isn't it? We're on the when all the bog men and women um, descend descend on Dublin City to do like their shopping. Piranha, Down in barracudas in, in, Swift, yeah, yeah. in Switzers. Yeah, into the Ilac Centre and Jervis and all the rest. And yeah, oh, the Jervis didn't exist. Sorry, it didn't exist. <clears throat> There's a lot of checkered shirts and brown boots in uh, in Dublin on December eighth. It's like a Garth Brooks. Um, it is, as Joe would know. Mm. Speaking of checkered shirts, yeah, it's like. And uh, well, like, what's what country in South Afri- in Africa is this today that you're wearing? It's uh, it. Well, it's I've actually bought it as I said before in Ethiopia, but um, I'm going to get behind maybe Ghana. Well, Senegal. If it counts as Senegal, they play England next, of course. So. I'm lumping into that, um, into that, into them. 
I'm, I'm all for Senegal. I'd love to see an African team get to a semi-final. Don't know if it'll happen necessarily. Morocco probably the best bet, John, as you said beforehand. So, they, uh, they could top the group today. Yeah. I mean, if they beat an eliminated Canada and it ends in a draw between Croatia and Belgium, I really dislike the commercialism around Christmas. Which is, I'm really finding the ads very difficult. Really? Yeah, finding it very difficult. Even the ones that are designed to make you cry. Yeah. If I don't know, I, I can't. I can't do it. Well, John um, Lewis ad or the. No, no, I just can't. I holidays can't are coming. The commercialism, I can't, I can't do it. What about the, the Guinness one? No, I, I hate it. Don't forget to turn the lights off. No, no? I can't What's do it. The one with the reindeer that makes the, makes the kids cry. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not really Santa's reindeer, and then it turns out it actually is. Yeah. Um, Slap twist! It is Santa's reindeer! Oh, amazing! It's just this year, John, you're feeling like screwed. No, no, I, no, I. I I, I kick into gear and I'm fine from about the 18th, 19th and by Christmas Eve I'm, I'm, I'm really going for it and then by the time the racing comes around I love it but um, just not now I find the earlier you start it the happier your life can be Maybe maybe you're right maybe I need to reflect on that in the mirror later on You're like Santa's little helper in this Yeah, join in yeah. and Coachy's Chris, Coachy Christmas yeah. John on, on the 8th and go into one of the shopping centres near you I just also it. find that because you know I think we all have the party animal and it's the earlier you start the, 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 you really can get into wreckage territory and so I kind of like to start late when I'm off that's um, fair enough in the, la- the last week of it they call that wisdom John well you know it's, it's acquired expensively it, uh, yes and uh, through lots of uh, lessons uh, of the past and um, the ghosts of Christmas past that yeah, have haunted those me those hangovers aren't getting any the, better in, in that taxi driver uh, like Scrooged uh, Danger Dave says, as an Australian, it's unbelievable that Leckie's scoring was a blight on Denmark. He literally only has a left foot and he's literally our only player. <clears throat> For Denmark, not to know, is terrible coaching. It was a pretty good goal. It right? was a great goal on the break. Uh, I like Graham Arnold. I think he's a character. And he was actually Hudink's assistant, uh, Gus Hudink, in 2006 when they last reached the last 16, the only over the time. But they've never won two games at the World Cup. They have now. And the Sydney Morning Herald, I read it at, or overnight, and they said, we can win the World Cup. Can we win the World Cup now? So the, the, the scenes in Melbourne at 3 o'clock in the morning were pretty amazing. And just, I suppose, illustrative of the fact that this is, this is a global thing. Saudi Arabia, Argentina, Australia. And it is Argentina, Australia now on Saturday evening at 7. But you've got to think with France and, and Argentina that they're into the last eight. Um, I wasn't that impressed with Deschamps playing his B team. You know, if Australia and Denmark had drawn, it would have probably, probably knocked Australia out um, with Tunisia winning. But uh, I suppose it does make them fresher for the game against Poland. I think they have to do it for like it's not it's not up to them to manage or care about the other, other teams. Yeah, you know, I, I like that's the the vagaries of professional sport. They got their job done early. They get to go home early. Mm. Yeah, you're a big man at work fan, John, are you? Who can it be now? Um, yeah. Knocking at my door, Shane Hannan on the Sunday girls. <laughs> I didn't realize it sound for it. That's. This is, is this Melbourne? Melbourne at 3 o'clock in the morning, yeah. That's, um, which is pretty amazing. Obviously, down there as well, this time of year, it's, it's nice and warm. So, or, yeah. A lot of Irish probably mixed in there somewhere. Too hot? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. These will be the scenes in Melbourne when the, the Irish women's team progress to the last 16 of the, the World Cup next, next yeah. July. But I do, like, I, do like, I do like Man at Work um, down under was recorded in 1981 and I don't think it reached number one in the UK until 83 oh. so sometimes these late songs can, you know, can be a late bloomer yeah um. uh, Shifty Lad says on my wall chart I had Denmark getting to the semis at least glad now I didn't throw a few bob each way on them um, yeah. yeah yeah. they don't have any strikers they can't score goals they haven't scored more than two goals in 12 years at a World Cup they haven't won any of their last six games it also punches a hole in the Nations League yeah because their form was form. brilliant yeah the Nations League though it's just a level above friendlies 
And I know we've been placing a huge amount of importance on it here because it's harder for us to qualify in the conventional way. Um, but it does punch a hole in like the form of, of some of the topper teams in the Nations League, like England, for example. That's why I was drawn into the Danish mirage before the World Cup. Well, Uruguay as well. Now, Uruguay might pull it out, but that's unlikely. Um, and they're having teams like that. And the Dutch have not been that impressive either. And I'd actually think that the USA would have a squeak against them on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Do you, do you think Australia have a squeak against Argentina? Not a hope. Really? Not a hope? Not a hope. I thought Argentina were really good last night. I okay, think they're so back they're, in the they're, conversation. They're coming good. Are they back, back in the conversation? Yeah, they are. Right. Yeah, for me, yeah. And I like the that Lionel Scaloni has made changes and he hasn't been afraid to, 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 to shake it up. Like he made five changes for the second game, four changes for the game last night. Pretty much a new midfield, like McAllister and Fernandez in there. Um, and brought in Alvarez, who scored. Uh, they had oh, 73% of the ball. Napoleon worked desperate. Uh, but Argentina, look, Messi's not who he was, but he still was dictating the rhythm of the game. Um, interesting, he still has those nerves. and He was nervous over the penalty. And Stesne had an amazing game. So if Argentina beat Australia, they're going to play the, the Dutch or the USA, and that, that, that's quite as they, they're in an easy bracket now. You'd, you'd it's like comparable to, see, to other teams. You'd like to see another uh, Holland Netherlands classic at um, the knockout stages of a World Cup. Mm. Yeah, John, good stuff. Anything All right, else? Guys, uh, no, um, uh, Spain against Japan at seven. Costa Rica, Germany at seven. Germany and Belgium have to win today, folks, and I think. Uh, you know, Belgium could be going out of the World Cup today. Happy right. Christmas, John. Yeah. <laughs> Shane and Cheryl, we're going to say this, we're going to say this a lot every day for, for another month. <laughs> All right. More from John, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk. We're turning our attention to rugby, and there are squally showers blowing through the English rugby system at the moment. I'm delighted to say Will Greenwood is with us to try and parse what it means. Will, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, yeah, good morning. Fascinating chat about uh, the football I missed yesterday's stuff. I'm just picking up on it now. So France got turned over, did they? Because they put a second team out. Pretty much, yeah. Um, right, but they they got the job done and topped the group. It, uh, it didn't matter. Right, in okay. Yeah. And England have got Senegal. Mate, we're on the way, aren't we? We're on the way. You must be supporting us. It's coming home, yeah, man. Exactly. That's that's how it works, right? We're all delighted yeah, for our neighbours. Yeah, Wales and Scotland, they're all over us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They've got the banners out. St. George flag. Thanks, guys. Um, it's funny that one of the things that is managing to keep the English football team off the back of the English newspapers this morning is... Um, the England cricket team scoring 257 and Zach Crawley getting a century this morning. Is that, yes? Apparently, Pakistan, yeah, they, yeah. they have a bit of a bug... Uh, in the squad at the moment, the cricket team. There's a bit of a bug in, in English rugby at the moment too. Yeah. I haven't heard yeah. of this guy before, David Pembroke, who who works for Eddie Jones as an independent media advisor, but he was busy in the comments of the Times newspaper yesterday um, insulting the chief executive of the RFU and he's had to apologise to him. I, this is mad stuff. I, I've never seen anything like this before. No. Um, I know Bill very well. I, I'm not going to do an arson venger here. I was out uh, with my day job and entertaining clients yesterday, so it seemed to have missed that furor. You might have to either fill me in, or I'll have to dodge the question. Well, I, I'm happy to fill you in, because it's, it's, it is yeah. pretty interesting, right? Um, yeah. So there was a story yesterday in the London Times about uh, how the recently appointed ex-GB hockey coach was considering his position after six weeks um, He's been working to try and improve the culture with the uh, the English rugby team. And there was also the team doctor has, uh, he's leaving after the November internationals. And I don't know if it was scheduled or not, but right. that story was... So, a so that's time. The main story seems to be, therefore, that uh, the high turnaround, the high churn 
within Eddie's team, I, su- I suppose, uh, and is one of the accusations of how can players find sort of structure and consistency and understanding of message and clarity of thought. It's fine when you're beating the team by 30 points or it's fine in the training session, but under pressure, you sort of sink to the level of your training. And if your training has been inconsistent and uh, varied and continues to change, then it is difficult to react to really good teams like Ireland. But in this particular instance, um, South Africa and for 72 minutes, New Zealand. There's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really tough watch at the moment, England. I still turn up with hope. But amazingly, um, I used to turn up with expectation at Twickenham. And that's a major transition for a fan. I was a Manchester City fan since 1981 and always it was the hope that killed me. Um, and it's just a little bit like that at the moment with, with England rugby. We have absolutely no idea what's going to appear in front of us for 80 minutes at Twickenham. And uh, we sort of hope for 40 minutes of good rugby, never mind sort of demanding 80. Is there a fix for that? Um, so, I mean, I, I can understand that's a very short question with a long pause, asking me and hoping for me to go in one direction. I sort of not a route I'm going to go down. I, I, if you want me to ask if the regime stays the same, what do they do? Uh, look, they have to find uh, exactly what I talked about, consistency, clarity, selection. Uh, if you spend time together in the saddle, in the centres with someone, you begin to understand their nuances, their idiosyncrasies. Um, if, if I'm allowed to sort of talk about the relationships I had with my chap who's just come forth in the jungle, Tyndall, you, you, you really begin to understand what their strengths and weaknesses are by playing day in, day out. We would occasionally rotate in and out with Mike Cat. I've played with Mike since under-21s. So by the time the World Cup came around, I'd spend 11 years um, playing playing with Mike Cat. And those sorts of relationships sometimes uh, are more important than picking the best players. Now, I'm not saying we weren't the best players, but actually to, to stick with a group and pick them, which to then revert back to the sort of England cricket team with uh, McCollum and, and giving the opportunity to Zach Crawley, where others may have gone, you know what, it's done. But actually having that confidence as a player that he's the coach has your back it is crucial. I mean, I, I haven't heard, and again, I've been missing because I don't work in rugby as much as I used to. Tommy Freeman, for example, um, being injured, been playing really well, comes in and doesn't reappear for the second half. Um, I don't actually know. I mean, not, not that many played well in the first half. I, I, I don't know actually know what he did wrong. Um, he didn't do a huge amount right, but neither did anyone else. And, and I think those, those are the sorts of moves that make it difficult to understand and therefore tough to love. There's talk, Will, that this RFU review might be heavily influenced by the players. The players will be asked what their opinion is of, of Eddie Jones. Is that is that the right thing to do? Should players have a say? Uh, well, well, I mean, if you, again, you can only sort of judge it against your own team. Um, if we did a review in our day, I, I mean, everyone assumes we all love Sir Clive. I love Sir Clive. He picked me. There was, if I'm a squad of 30, there's 15 lads who didn't love him because he didn't pick them. He put them on the bench or they weren't even in the squad. So, it's always a dangerous one, but I do think I do think it's important to get a diversity of opinion and and uh, an opinion from those who work most closely uh, with. I think, as always, there there will be uh, the extremes. There'll be some big noise, and they have to a little bit like is it the ice skating 
marks referees they remove the bottom two and the top two and go with the interquartile range i love a little bit of math and that tends to be in the bell curve where the vast majority of the messaging will come through so yeah i think i think it is important i think there's always a sliding scale of weight to it and, and to what weight you you index and, and attribute player feedback but if player feedback and noise is um for all our messages publicly of of coherence and, and and strong culture privately isn't then again it would it would make make things difficult to continue um if it comes out as super strong and super positive and they'd go to war uh for Eddie then then that has to be considered in amongst the results it does seem like any one of a number of outcomes is on the table here which hasn't traditionally been the case with a lot of these reviews you would have felt like okay we're going to do our review and at the end of it we'll recommend that we all try and do a little bit better and we'll all try and do that a little bit better collectively that's not the case this time for whatever reason it doesn't it doesn't feel like that it feels like that outcome um where there might be a split is is at least on the cards uh, or as an option or on the yeah. table rather than oh. on the cards maybe yeah look i think the RFU would have been confident or hopeful that by winning a series in Australia, which is not as good as winning a series in New Zealand, obviously, but still winning a series in the Southern Hemisphere would have would have put these discussions to bed. Um, like with all things, uh, noise, media noise, understanding what's going on has a marginal impact on players. They're, they're not daft. They can listen to it. They understand what's going on. Um, uh, and again, any sort of turbulence... Uh, I think you said that you used the word squall. Any sort of squall in and around camp uh, and batting off questions like this in the build-up to the Six Nations will detract from the total focus of playing. And if it detracts from the total focus of playing, then um, you don't perform as well uh, as you would have done. You want to quieten that noise as much as possible. So that's that's the problem the RFU have. They have, they have huge decisions to make. I'm not going to be... Um, drawn on what I would do um, but there, there needs to be a dramatic improvement in play otherwise England uh, who have been given a very very favourable draw and that is without being in any way disrespectful to Argentina, Japan Wales, Australia, our side of the draw but um, were England currently uh, in your side of the draw with South Africa, New Zealand and France uh, England would be about 50 to 1 to get past the quarterfinals. As it is, even with what's going on, I think we're probably pretty solid favourites to make a semi, which is uh, to make a semi final, which is extraordinary to think when we've had the run of results we've got here. And that's another factor that has to be taken into account. If you don't know where to go next or what to do or who to bring in, then you can gamble. You can gamble on the fact that the World Cup draw has has offered, again, these words will come back and bite me, but, but have offered England a very nice opportunity to play decently well without knocking it out of the park and find themselves playing in a semi-final. I mean, I think even an Irish fan would probably go, I wish we could swap places with Oh, England. yes. Oh yes, stages. we're we're very jealous. We're like, I, but I think the Welsh are thinking the same, and the Australians are thinking the same. You well, know, form isn't great, but put together no, three that, or four games, yeah, and, and that has to be factored in to what's going on because 
do, do, England are, are planning and they are planning now for who takes over from Eddie after the World Cup. They will have a handover, a smooth transition. They will have identified their man or are currently identifying their man with Con Roche. Um, I, I believe it's either Ronan, uh, Scott, Razor Robertson, Steve Borthwick, um, or a and other. I think there's a fourth um, in, in the pot. Um, and they will have an idea of how that will follow through smoothly. The last thing you want to be doing is changing anything 12 months in advance. But as South Africa proved in 2018, 2019, um, there's always time. So, um, yeah, it's an inbox, a full inbox for Bill Sweeney, probably not helped by um, the, the, the gentleman talking yesterday about stuff. Um, but you have to have a thick skin if you're a CEO, and that makes that's the same if you're running BT, Sky, or a sports team. One last question: If 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 they were to make a change, would that galvanise support? Like, it, it, what's the when you're you're recording your videos and everybody should follow you on on uh, your various social platforms to to see your post match reaction? When you're yeah. when you're done that and you're talking to the fans afterwards, there's obviously like a disconnect with the team at the moment. But is it yeah. possible that that can get turned around quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think you only have to look at sort of football to understand a manager gets removed, the next manager comes in and they win the next two with the sort of you just hope it's not, and I hope this is an appropriate phrase, a dead cat bounce, which is the sort of classic, yeah, quick uplift, but then back down again. So um certainly in the I mean, what does a corporate hospitality function of five hundred tell you? It really gives you a straw poll. Um and certainly there is a massive disconnect currently now between fans and the team. My great friend, um, I, I shall spare his blushes, but has been played rugby all his life, um, was a decent player, has watched England all his life, left at halftime, um, which is an inconceivable thought um, from my great friend. And if he's leaving at halftime, the bellwether, the barometer uh, is not good for what England are doing on and off the pitch. Will, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. That's Will Greenwood there giving us some really interesting insight into how things are going at the moment. That is a disconnect. Like, I mean, you look, you hear the, heard the boos at the end of the full time of the South Africa game in Twickenham, and you're thinking, this isn't normal. To hear the reaction of the English fans, that's pretty rare, uh, but it's becoming all the more common, these boos and the attitude of the English fans. They just they don't look happy and sound happy. Uh, we are so far steeped in blood that returning were as tedious as gore. It's Macbeth, right? It's like, we've killed so many people now, we can't go back. Exactly. But actually, that's, that's, that ends badly for Macbeth. Oh. That ends really badly. <laughs> it it if does. He, if he stopped and turned around and went, oh, look, I'm really sorry, you know, I've uh, been having hallucinations. This whiskey has been driving me crazy. I, I, uh, maybe things would have been better. True. Uh, I have this, this terrible sinking feeling, as, as you point out, that the, the side of the draw that England are on that, there could like, easily be in a World Cup final. Ah, absolutely. And who knows then what, what what could happen from that point on. Their scrum takes over and they beat France or New Zealand. I mean, <laughs> or us, yeah, yeah, or us. Uh, who knows? Ireland-England World Cup final, let's have it. Oh, yeah. Called it now, December 2022. Scott Robertson in charge. Yeah. I don't think, I, I like, I I don't know what I expected when uh, Will agreed to come on. I, I, I figured that he'd, because he's been very uh, pro Eddie Jones up to this point but mm. when you hear somebody like that who's like look I have thoughts but I'm I know that if I was to express them 
that it will have an impact on all this and that's like you know that's yeah. uh, it, it's a sign <clears throat> and then you're hearing I was reading Ellis Genge talking as well and he, he's pointing out Eddie knows that, that the performances in November were his fault and he feels terrible about them but that's no good no. I feel terrible about them but I mean well, also, something has to be done about what's it what's Gens going to say of course it's his manager yeah, yeah I mean that's um, the point so anyway I didn't get to read out David Pembroke's comments he works as Jones independent media advisor and uh, on in a comment on the Times website there's only one question now and it's a question of governance Pembroke wrote the chairman of the RFU must ask the CEO of the RFU that's Bill Sweeney did he or persons on his behalf leak the information published in the Times today by Owen Slot about the hockey coach and the doctor? Simple. If answer is yes, Slippery Bill is a goner. So Slippery Bill is in uh, is in quotes there, as in somebody else might call him Slippery Bill. I don't know who. Just to, to reiterate, David Pembroke, who has worked as Jones' independent media advisor throughout his tenure as England coach. I mean, that's fairly scathing <laughs> like damning. This is a guy who works in the media, who understands how the media works, and he's commenting on a story like, no, the real story here is that somebody leaked this stuff. Yeah, and, and those you media better, guys... You better investigate this, chairman of the board. <laughs> investigate your CEO who employs the guy who I am an independent contractor for. If you're a media guy, you know that the PR hit of, of leaving a job after six weeks is going to be fairly damning, and it's not going to look good for Eddie Jones, but yet... It has happened. So what does that tell you about the situation within English rugby? He then apologised to uh, Bill Sweeney. Right. Afterwards. So it was definitely him. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't yeah. have done that. I mean... Mea culpa. A very interesting media strategy. Very, very on brand for Eddie Jones, who's like... Who also at one point in the middle of it said, uh, well, the CEO's going to have his opinion, informed by you guys in the media. It's like, what? I mean, do, you think, do you think he's not going to have his own opinion? He's not going to be able to like just look at the game and go... Oh, this South African team who are good but not great. Mm. A lot of injuries, a bit of inconsistency in selection and, and performance so far over this. They just hammered us. But he's going to read it in the papers and he's going to make his mind up what he thinks. It's tough to watch English rugby struggling, isn't it? Someone like Eddie I mean, Jones. I want Eddie Jones time. to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep Eddie Jones, he's great. <laughs> you want to watch him squirm and, and do terribly over the next 12 months. Um, yeah, that remains to be seen. But I mean, a decision has to be made soon if it is going to go that way. Before the Six Nations. Ah, drag it out for a couple of weeks. We'll ah, join this. Maybe, yeah. Happy Christmas. Check out the lunchtime wrap today, bringing you all the latest sports news. It's with thanks to Deliveroo. Check out the app for some great match, de- match day meal deals across the World Cup. Deliveroo food, we get it. Here's what we got on OTB Sports Radio today. Uh, one o'clock OTB Golds. Jack McCaffrey. Leaders questions with Stuart Lancaster at three. Our retro panel is leaders and captains at four. Nigel Mansell at six is OTB Gold and the show's live tonight with Nathan he'll be joined by John Giles as usual of a Thursday plus much more besides oh it feels like a very fast moving World Cup at the moment it's coming thick and fast now mm-hmm. it slows down after this to the bit where well it doesn't really it goes straight into the last 16 but then you've got a two day gap before the quarters the last 16 is like yeah oh, it's just upon you yeah. um, those two days are going to be quite sad with no football we're going to not know what to do with ourselves but we'll, we'll, we'll find something to keep ourselves occupied uh, up next Anna Harrington of the Australian Associated Press joins us live from Melbourne to reflect on an incredible day at the World Cup for Australian football OTB Sports Radio this is the part of the World Cup that's very difficult for us because we're so jealous now we're going to Melbourne to make us even more jealous Anna Harrington good morning to you good evening good night to you how are you Oh, good day, guys. How are you going? Um, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty happy times in Melbourne. We're all pretty bleary-eyed, and I reckon I've slept about three hours in the last 24, but 
yeah, it's a it's a pretty good time to be an Australian football fan um, over here. Yeah. How expected or unexpected is it? Does that actually add to the whole thing as well? What were your level of expectations heading into this? Oh, totally unexpected. I think especially when you play France. I think going into this, it's interesting. We played two of the same teams from our group four years ago, um, obviously France and Denmark. And last time around, we drew with Denmark. And I think this time because we had a bit of a rocky road through the qualifiers. Obviously, it went off so long because of COVID. We had to go through the the playoffs and all the way, obviously, to that penalty shootout against Peru. I think people came in with low expectations, thinking we wouldn't get out of the group um, or we'd struggle to get out of the group and um, maybe struggle to pick up points. I mean, six six points is beyond anyone's expectation. It's the most we've, we've ever got. It's the first time we've won two games at a World Cup, won back-to-back games at a World Cup. We scored in all three. Um, I mean, the golden generation in 06 only got four points, and it was a tough group, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's it's sort of exceeded anyone's expectations. And, yeah, just I think probably beyond people's wildest dreams, to be honest. And I think if you look at those scenes in Fed Square – and the way it's just built throughout the week. Well, that was two in the morning that game kicked off um, here in Melbourne. So, yeah, it, it's a buzz it, and it's fantastic for the game here. How many people are there? We're, we're rolling some scenes from that now. It does look like, I mean, it could be it could be a, a, a Turkish rivalry, one of those. It looks like, you know, all-time great football scenes. The flares are going. It's dark. Everybody is off their heads on joy. It's amazing. How many people are at that? Yeah, there's thousands. Like, it's quite incredible. Like Fed, so Fed Square, to give some context, is across the road from Flinders Street Station, which would be like our main central station in Melbourne. It's It's been used to show games on the big screen. They use it in Australian Open and that as well, I think, sometimes. But um, in 2006, when they went on that run, the Socceroos, um, Fed Square was getting packed and it's, it's sort of been a bit of a home. And I think the, the talk initially was they weren't maybe looking at doing games, you know, showing the games there and people really pushed for it and it's just exploded in popularity. Um, yeah, just thousands of people. It was interesting watching on our, our host broadcast at SPS, John Aloisi, obviously the, the Socceroos hero. Um, he was in 06 in Kaiserslautern. He wasn't there, obviously, because he was playing and he was at the, at Fed Square last night and was just saying, it's incredible. It feels like a whole new, new generation of people have been inspired by it. It's, um, yeah, it's fantastic. It shows, you know, people don't always talk about us as a, a football country, but the thirst for it, the hunger for it's there. Um, and when our national teams do well, people turn up, right? So Melbourne's like uh, the seat of Aussie rules power. Is that right? Correct. I think you guys would know us pretty well for nicking a few of your um, <laughs> your GAA athletes and pinching them down here in Melbourne. But yeah, Aussie, Aussie rules sort of reign supreme. Um, you know, there's there's been things like uh, when we've had World Cup bids, like we've obviously got the Women's World Cup next year, the MCG isn't available, the Marvel Stadium or the Dockland Stadium isn't available. Uh, when we were pushing for the this current World Cup, actually, um, it was quite difficult. Um, yeah, footy or AFL reigns supreme down here, but never see scenes like that for any sport, to be honest. Like, especially, like, I, I know the time difference is why it's at two in the morning, but... Yeah, just the passion and the way people have turned out for it and the way people are getting behind it. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. There's a, there's a strong, you know, love of football here in Melbourne and, you know, people love sports with the Australian Open and all sorts going on here, the summer of cricket. But yeah, just the, the turnout was pretty incredible. And now they're actually managing to get some live sites up elsewhere in the country, especially in Sydney, who didn't really have one as, you know, prolific as this one for this game against Argentina, which um, is going to be actually 6 a.m. Sunday, our time. So Much it's better. going to be like 
Perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it'll be breakfast instead of, um, well, there might be some that go all night. You never know. Yeah, there's always um, one. But, yeah, there's always a few. So, no, it's a great buzz here. Can I ask you a question about that, Anna? The, um, so, I, I, our sports culture has this weird nonsense rivalry where some sports fans hate other fans of other sports and it, sometimes it flares up and sometimes it's repressed like a lot of things in Irish life uh, do the Aussie Rules fans hate the football fans do the cricket can fans get on with everybody do the rugby league fans are they haughty what, what's that like uh, social stratosphere like oh you get what people would call code wars where um you know, there's people who follow one sport who can't stand another. You get plenty of people like myself. I'm obviously a sports journo, but I've got a lot of, uh, you know, I follow the AFL, I follow the football. I think you get quite a few people who who follow both, but there's certainly, um, I guess, competition for the same group of fans. And um, I think for, for football fans in Australia or soccer fans, as many would say here, they um, maybe feel that they, they sort of get overlooked or, you know, the sport is sort of sidelined in favour of things like AFL and those sorts of things, which which are massive. They have massive supporter bases, AFL in particular, and up north it's more rugby league. Um, rugby union not quite so – doesn't have quite such a, a presence. But, yeah, I think especially AFL in Melbourne, there's a, a real feel of rivalry. A lot of people do like both sports, but there's certainly competition within the sports, you know, for talented junior athletes, um, you know, especially we've seen it with women's sport as well, you know, like with um, – Obviously, the Matildas, who play play your girls next year, yeah, um, really taking off, and a lot of other women's sports taking off. There's also competition for for athletes there, so it's probably a similar thing where every sport wants a piece of, you know, the advertising, the crowds, the um, the the talented athletes coming through, and and people are very loyal to their clubs and their sports. But yeah, it's there certainly can be a bit polarizing. That Matt Lecky goal, Anna, feels like a, a massive moment for Australian football, soccer. I mean, it's it's one of those, like we, I guess, in this country have moments from World Cups, Sheedy, Houghton, Keane, massive goals that we all remember where we were. That Matt Lecky goal feels like such a significant moment in, in, in similar terms for, for Aussies. Yeah, the I guess the way people have talked about it, we didn't score a goal from open play, I don't think, at the last World Cup, but the, the Tim Cahill um, goal against Japan and Kaiserslautern is the one that, you know, people always called two, but like the first one is where it's probably a where were you moment. And before that, the um the the penalty shootout against Uruguay where Schwartz makes those saves and John Aloisi scores the winning penalty. They they've probably been the the defining moments for Australian men's football and Australian football um in terms of especially the last twenty well, something years. Like yeah, this this has to go up there. I mean, we're into into the round of sixteen. We got six points, as I said. Um, yeah, it's it's something we haven't achieved before. It's it was just an incredible goal, wasn't it? Like um he's from Melbourne as well, so I think a lot of people have a have a soft spot for him down here. He plays for Melbourne City actually here. Um but just the way he took that goal and the way he just sent the Danish defender on a bit of a spin cycle was um was incredible and the finish was just wonderful. I think yeah, considering how lethargic especially they looked at the start of that game and you know, some real backs to the wall stuff. Um, to to pull off a goal like that and such a special goal, it's it's certainly I, I agree going to be one of those moments where you go, where were you when you maybe in Fed Square, maybe you're in Qatar, or maybe like a lot of people you're on the couch or in the pub. It's um yeah, it's going to be a moment that goes down in history. And I think you know they've they've really got nothing to lose, right? Argentina, no one expects them to win. Um, not many expected them to beat Denmark, so they can go into it and uh, yeah, it's um it's a really exciting moment. 
One goal though can change all because reading after the match, um, I think it was on ABC in Australia where they were like, if Matt Leckie's career had ended yesterday, people wouldn't have known what to have made of him. Like he's a hard worker, a good runner in that Australian team, but the goal just becomes iconic and changes all. Yeah, it's interesting because he had he has actually had a really really good career. He went over to the Bundesliga and was a regular there for a long time, which is no I think easy feat, especially when you've come over from Australia. He's come back, um, you know, because of his family and wanting to be back in Melbourne. And he sort of took a while to get back into our domestic league here and, and hit form. But he's really been flying this past season. But yeah, he's always been really super reliable. But he sort of said it himself best um, that he's it's his third World Cup which is pretty incredible. Um, and he's had chances to score and, you know, they've not fallen that way for whatever reason. And then when he got this one, he took it. And he, to be honest, he looked um, absolutely out of puff, like a lot of the Australians um, early in this match. And to to make a run like that, it was a lovely ball as well from from Riley McGree, but to make a run like that and then to finish so wonderfully, it's, um, yeah, a real testament to him. He's, he is probably one of the underrated figures of Australian football, but now, like you say, kind of gets his... His spot in, I guess, the legacy of it all. Uh, Graham Arnold's legacy is fairly secure now after this as well. Heading into the tournament, I understand people were a little bit uncertain about him. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's been polarising. Um, it's He's had such a long history with Australian football and the Socceroos. He was caretaker before um, it was 07 and it didn't go so well and then he had a really good um, club career in the A-League here with Sydney FC especially but also the Central Coast Mariners and he got the job obviously Ange Postacoglu left where Bert Van Marwijk took over on an interim basis and Arnold was always going to take over and I feel like you've got these different schools in Australian football and people really loved Ange Postacoglu and we know what he's doing now in Celtic and what he did in Japan and the way he played that really fearless you know attacking football all costs. Maybe people maybe see Arnie or Graham Arnold as a bit more pragmatic. Um, and he was sort of in a really tense spot um, when Australia didn't qualify directly, like finish below Japan or Saudi Arabia and Japan and had to go through the playoffs. There was question marks over his future. Would the would Football Australia look to go in a different direction? Um, but obviously they, they got through the playoffs and um, he pulled off that masterstroke in picking Andrew Redmayne for the penalty shootout against Peru. And he was always going to go to the World Cup from there. But, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny what he's done. He's there's As with every team, I'm sure, there's question marks over, oh, should this player have been selected? Should this one have missed out? But he's been he's been vindicated with his man management and the, the players he's backed and the style. And he, I thought he pulled off a really smart move at, I think it was at halftime today, when he um, brought on Keanu Bacchus for, for Craig Goodwin, who'd been exceptional in the first two games, and it just re-energise that midfield, push Riley McGree forward and McGree got the assist. He's like he's a bar the France game where I think the criticism was Australia was very conservative after the goal and really sat deep and it, it clearly didn't work out. The past two games have, you know, done everything they had to. And yeah, it's backs to the wall. It's hard work, but World Cups aren't always going to be pretty football, right? So yeah, I think he's, um, he's not necessarily going to turn everyone into his fans, but he deserves a lot of credit, and he's going to, like I said, with Leckie, he's making his own mark in Australian football history, and, and he deserves it. He's um he's backed himself in, his players have backed him in, and whether he carries on, I imagine that's going to be his choice entirely now after this World Cup. Um, you have to think the contract will be there. His players are keen for him to stay on. Yeah, he's um yeah he's done brilliantly, and I think he deserves every bit of credit he gets. How is the A League getting on at the moment? It's not going too badly. It's um. The, I think the big games get big crowds. The smaller ones, there's still some question marks over the crowds. I think the standard has improved 
over the years. You get some really entertaining games. We've got a lot of young players coming through. I think expansion has helped in that regard. The the obvious one people talk about is young um, Garan Kowal, who's signed for for Newcastle in in the Premier League, and will be heading over there in January and will probably get loaned out. But yeah, there's a lot more young players coming through. There's quite a few Socceroos um, that are that are playing there now. Um, but I think the really exciting thing was a, a huge chunk of this team that were um, that are in Qatar at the moment and that have achieved this milestone came through the A League or have played here at some point and have yeah either had their development years in Australia or have or have come back. Or Jason Cummings, the the Scot- former Scottish international, came to the A League and reinvented his career. Right, so it's really exciting in that sense. Like you know, there's always. Um, going to be some toing and froing, and I think things that can be improved upon. But as far as uh, providing a development pathway for these Socceroos, I, I think most people will be pretty excited about what it's done. I hadn't realised until recently, Anna, that, that um, Graham Arnold's number two is Rene Muhlenstein, who Manchester United yeah. fans will recognise as first team coach under Alex Ferguson for, for many years at Old Trafford. So a lot of experience there. Yeah, a lot of experience there. And um, yeah, they seem to work work really well together and I think Mielenstein was the one that was sort of based in Europe and in England doing the scouting and doing the work um, during COVID when Graham Arnold was based in New South Wales and also when um, when Graham had COVID, he had COVID twice during the World Cup qualification period, like it was a pretty brutal run between the travel, the delays, the postponements, the going into hubs, um, you know, and then players having to do heavy quarantines when they came home. Graham Arnold got COVID twice, and um, Milstein had to had to coach in his in his stead. It was, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a fair old journey for them both, I think. Where where does this team rank now? You mentioned that the 06 generation of Cahill, Q, and Viduka. Like, is this the new golden generation in Australian football? That's what um, Graham Arnold was saying today. Do we talk about this as a new one? I mean, on points they've they've surpassed them but there's something I don't want to say mythical but there's something like aspirational about the golden generation you had so many players playing in top leagues in Europe you had um like genuine stars like when you think you had Viduka and Kuehl and Cahill all in that you know sort of attacking mix attacking slash midfield mix like incredible you know Mark Bresciano so much talent um and it, it batted so deep and I think a lot of people say, like, if they'd qualified for, you know, 98 or 2002, maybe we would have seen more of the golden generation really take centre stage. But um, I think in terms of what they've achieved here, fantastic. And I'd love to see them go on with it. I'd love to see them kick on, you know, Asian Cup again if they can get another win there. I think it, does, it doesn't have the maybe the mystique and the allure of, of the, the golden generation per se, but I think maybe they've shifted a lot of people's perceptions on what, where Australian football is and what they can achieve and the talent of some of these players because that Denmark team was not short of talent. And a lot of these guys like Harry Sutter, you'd have to think will be in the Premier League sooner rather than later. He's been just a rock for for Australia. You look at the way Jackson Irvine's played and um, you know, Aaron Moy's been old, sort of old faithful, reliable. And yeah, it's, yeah, there's a lot to, a lot to like about what some of these players have been have been able to do. And I mentioned Matt Leckie, of course. I think he and Craig Goodwin had been... Well, Goodwin's outstanding in the first two games, but Leckie's been very good in all three. So, yeah, it's it's not quite... It's not the golden generation, like in terms of the profile and maybe the overall quality of the team. But, yeah, as I say, I think they're certainly shifting some perceptions. I think there'd be a lot of people who maybe aren't strong followers of Australian football who would have queried how far this team could go. And I think even people who followed it closely would have queried that. So, yeah, they're... um. 
they're certainly making a name for themselves in their own right, I guess. Give us your prediction for the Argentina game. Oh, <laughs> I have to have to go with Australia, don't I? <laughs> you <laughs> um, kind of do, yeah. I won't, be very po- I won't be very popular at home if I, if I don't. Oh, it, as I said, like, you can't, you, well, you can lose, obviously, but it's a free hit. Um, we saw what Saudi Arabia were able to do yeah. against Argentina. Like, it's not like they're some sort of mythical beast team that are just steamrolling everyone. They've they've had their struggles. So I think Australia will back themselves. Both teams are going to be short on rest. It's going to be tough. It's going to be gritty. Like, I don't envy the Australian defence having to deal with um, Leo Messi running at them, but you never know. You never know. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think there'll be any clean sheets. <laughs> Let's go. Maybe maybe it'll be a one all and it'll go to extra time and Australia will jag one. Let's go with that. There if you they go. Score two. That'd be nice. Sounds like an all-time classic. Anna, great stuff. Uh-huh. Thanks a million. Thank you so much for having me and uh, take care, guys. That's uh, Anna Harrington there <clears throat> on the line from Melbourne uh, this evening, this afternoon, her time, uh, this morning, our time. Yeah, when you said the game earlier today, I was like, oh, yeah. Was it today? What? Was yeah. it yesterday? <laughs> so what? confused. For her, I guess it was. Uh, we're live every morning with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at movember.com. Um, we have Kevin Caban live from Qatar tomorrow. We're going to hear from Anya Kinsella, Wexford's new senior men's football assistant manager, and plenty more as well. Uh, the mob needs to go after Shane. Denmark will win it. Fred will be player of the tournament, says Dennis Ryan. Expect a pile on. I was expecting this hit. At least I wasn't sitting on the fence, lads. Come on. I know I'm getting abuse for this, but I mean, I just felt Denmark based on Nations League. I'm not the only person who predicted Denmark as dark horses, let's be honest. Bruce Robo Fan Club says John Duggan increases the IQ quotient to at least 200% every time he appears. I don't know what that says about me and you, but. There you go. Yeah. Uh, in fairness, France had to make changes. They've had more injuries than anybody else. I still think Spain will win it, says Peter M. Yeah, I think they were right to do it. It's, uh, no one's going to remember that match, apart from in Tunisia, obviously. Mm. Um. Uh, Tovar Tovarski says Argentina has no midfield Di Maria, Otamendi and Messi are over the peak the rest is just bang average just take a look at this lumberjack <laughs> so that there's a point in uh, what anti-footballer Paul <laughs> De there, Paul there's a blueprint there Ger there's a blueprint for beating Argentina <clears throat> that, that Australia can just follow now the it's been is, done this tournament well and uh, he has made a lot of changes to that team yeah. I, I like none of the teams are so good that you expect them to hammer anybody. No. Like, even even the French, when they're playing really well, like, we went 1-0 up against them in the Euros. Yeah. They script a long time ago. Long time ago. It's a different team. Yeah. There's no world beaters. Like, Spain are the only team that have really beaten anyone by a large margin in England The Danes well, were really good after they scored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so it was like a 15-minute period there where you're like, oh, Denmark are going to do something here. Mm-hmm. And then, like, if they could have got out of the- Anyway. Someone during this week said, no World Cup winner has ever been perfect. And I think that's, that's a fair point. Every single team in this World Cup has a weakness. Even France, even Brazil, even Argentina, they all have weaknesses. And that's something that the likes of Australia can, can latch on to. Maybe Poland as well playing France in the last 16 and even Senegal playing England. These teams have weaknesses. So one of them is going to fall. Yeah, and one of those teams who isn't very good is going to go out and just say, lads, this is it. All of your entire life is going to be remembered for these 90 minutes. Yeah. Just go and do something magical. No pressure. A free shot, as Anna said. Australia have a free shot against Argentina. And Messi's not the Messi he always was. One of my favourite things about uh, World Cups is talking to randomers from different countries. And we've done it a lot today. Yeah. We had Rasmus on from Denmark. We've had Anna on from Australia. And we'll definitely get them both back on again at some point yeah, in the future. Yeah. Uh, Lars as well. Yeah. Um, right, not a bad show. Good solid 8.5 out of 10, I think. Yeah, solid World Cup show. OTB AM. With Gillette. 
Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 